let this guy, I don't know what side he's on. Did you let this guy in? No, I thought Tommy just did some incredible grooming this week. I didn't know what was going on. That's uh, Tommy. You know, yeah, that's I Hey-o. think. Hey, oh, hey, I don't know. Seriously, people, this week's episode, so much cool stuff. We are joined by Julian Gill from, we'll call it the Kiss FAQ. Ah. <laughs> we, won't, we won't use our pet name. No, call, you use the name, Mike. From use the cesspool. The <laughs> I, I look at my background. I brought I brought some cesspool goo. Uh, Julian Gill from the cesspool is here talking about Aerosmith. Tons of Aerosmith this week. Tons, and, tons of Aerosmith. And if that's not enough, you do have to stick to the very end because Julian and Mark have a great conversation about being elitist hoarders they were shaking tapes all over this episode and it's just it's gonna piss you off and i couldn't be happier the shaking society (laughs) this week on three sides of the coin i've banned mike and mark this is three sides of the coin talking all things Kiss. I want to rock and roll all night. You're listening to Three Sides of the Coin. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Three Sides of the Coin. Uh, you got Mike. You got Mark. At some point, hey, Ed is here. Then Ed leaves. Um, we got a great guest. I'm not going to read any comments, um, but I want to run through a few things real quick that I think we would be remiss. That's a big word like gymnasium to discuss um kiss announced creatures of the night box set cool as fuck seriously i Mm -hmm. i ordered it right away i did order it from kiss online because i'm trusting that their new fulfillment company has gotten their act together um the box set looks fucking amazing Uh, although i will bring up a few things that i'm reading about that are just like oh my god Please don't be so stupid, people. First of all, there's no vinyl in the box set. Well, there was no vinyl in the Destroyer box set either. You had to buy the vinyl separately. Here's what you need to think, people. The Destroyer box set, model for all future box sets. Okay? If it wasn't in the Destroyer, it's probably not going to be in other ones. People are like, "Ah, I'd get the creatures, but there's no video in it. What? There was no video in Destroyer. It's not a video box set, okay? And then, it's so expensive. It's like, was it $75 more than the Destroyer box set? Okay, people, just think about this. Since the Destroyer box set came out, cost of goods on everything. Through the roof. Paper, expensive. Oh, you know, you do want to buy that vinyl? Guess what vinyl's made out of? Costs are going to go way up on vinyl as well. So, you know, yeah, I'd like everything to be cheaper. And that's what's funny about all the people bitching is like, well, you know, if the box that was cheaper, I'd buy it. If the box that was cheaper, it wouldn't have everything in it as well. You know, they actually do have to cover the costs of all the stuff that's involved in producing and manufacturing and cleaning up and 
mastering and mixing and you know paying the third party people that design and layout and distribute dude if you want a 75 dollar box set you're not getting this box set for 75 bucks you can look if you want to spend under 300 it's easy buy the triple vinyl it's got a booklet in there and there you go yeah i got the triple vinyl and i got the main box set i mean and I didn't get the vinyl for Destroyer, but Creatures has a really special place for me. So I, I, did, I, I had I, to I did, get it. I did the box set and then I did the Half Speed Master because I found that I didn't listen to the Destroyer extras on vinyl too much. So I, it had nothing to do with being frugal or anything. I just went, you know, I'm going to get more bang for my buck because I like you. I Creatures are one of my favorite records. Um, I think I'm going to get more joy out of the half speed master. You Which know what? It goes back to the end of our conversation. <laughs> you, 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 you know what I did find interesting is so the creatures box that was $300, but they put together a super deluxe bundle of the box set, which was the box set and a t shirt for $297. So for three dollars less, I get the same box set plus a T-shirt. I'm like, that, that's not that's not very gene-like. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, I, it's funny. It's funny you said that because I I looked at that and I looked at it again. I'm like, what is going on? Here? I know. I was looking. I'm like, <laughs> am I missing something? Am I am I screwing myself out of a, something here? But I don't know if you guys know. This, again, you know, I that that. That's an actual bootleg design of an actual Creatures of the Night tour shirt sold on the tour. I know well, because I have an original one. Well, I was going to say, so that's cool that you bring that up because a lot of people were pissing and moaning of like, that T-shirt and that that bundle looks like crap. And I'm like, I'm thinking to myself, yeah, I mean, there's probably a good chance it was, it was on it, purpose it, to look it, that way. It was the original bootleg. Matter of fact, my daughter took my bootleg when we all went as a family to go see Kiss, she wanted to wear a Kiss t-shirt. So she went through my boxes and it's a jersey actually. And, and my wife and my, my daughter dug that one out more to the show and she still has it. But that's the actual design on the actual bootleg version that was sold on the Creatures of the Night tour that the, the bootleggers are selling out in the parking lot. Uh, in the parking lot. Yeah. So well, that that so there you go. That answers that question, people. Because people were like, Kiss should fire their designers if they design that. I'm like, oh Jesus fucking Christ. It's like, look at it. It it clearly looks like a bootleg t-shirt. So thank you for clearing that up. The yeah, t-shirt in the bundle is 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 a reproduction of a real bootleg t-shirt that Mark supplied. So anyway, Creatures of the Night box set is out. Dude, uh, I, I can't complain about it. I mean, I've only seen and read what everybody else has, but it looks freaking cool as hell. All the same cool shit that was in Destroyer is going to be in, in um, the Creatures. So I can't wait. And I think it's pre-ordering now and November 18th, 18th is when it's supposed to be released. So come on, Kiss Online. Don't force me to do another episode complaining about your shipping. Okay. I, 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 I took one for the team and I, I bought mine from kiss online after saying yes. I wouldn't. 
Yeah, well, so did supposedly, I. Supposedly, supposedly they have a new team yes. there, so I'm going to give yep, them a I'm, chance. Yep, I'm there. giving them a chance on this, so fingers crossed, but yeah, let's hope that's good. Um, another thing I want to mention real quick, Three Sides of the Coin Radio, as you're listening to this, we've changed our playlist again, and we've got a new guest playlist. None other than Charlie Benante from Anthrax took over and programmed the entire station. So head over to three sides of the coin radio.com. Just tell that woman to launch. I'm not going to mention her name because she's going to start talking to me. We, we call her Aria in the house here. So tell Aria to launch three sides of the coin radio. And you'll listen to all of Charlie Benante's favorite kiss tracks. And I'll even drop this. After that, I think we've got a playlist from Ron Keel coming up. Very cool. We're getting all sorts of guest playlists. Um, and then just a quick shout out and a thanks to everybody who listened to our last episode with Joe talking about the Kiss Cruise Fest. We had in the first week 28,500 plays in total across all of the distribute district distributors who carry the podcast 28,500 plays in one week. That's one of that might be our best first week numbers ever. I mean, we've got, I, I think our best on YouTube, our best episode is Mark Slaughter. I think he's at about 150,000 plays on YouTube from the Mark Slaughter interview. What, 28,000 in one week. Thank you so much. And, and that's what you have to explain to the know nothings who we talk about later on. What you see on there's two YouTube ones there's one that's considerably less, and then that's there's ours. That's, that's ours. Yeah. And then, then, there, then there's Vivo, which is a brand new distributor that we got hooked up on, I don't know, a couple months ago, maybe. And um, Vivo is delivering some incredible incredible plays for not just three sides of the coin, but my other podcast, the music biz weekly as well. I mean, I'm seeing 10, 15, 20, I got a music biz weekly podcast episode, 36,000 plays. Uh, it's just, it's fascinating. So yes, there's, there's a lot of different places you can listen to our podcast and well, you that's may not see wanted, the numbers people. That's what I want people to understand is Guys, this, this this platform is really podcast centric, and uh, that's where people go uh, because we've like, oh, you you can't say that you've got a, you've got a thousand here on on uh, on, on, on your on your YouTube. No, no, you. Yeah. I mean, I I will tell you guys the no the three top channels for the podcast. One, YouTube, which is my channel and the vivo channel the second most popular spotify you can't see the numbers on spotify but i can tell you we get a lot of listens on spotify and then itunes you can't see the numbers on itunes either those three deliver probably 80 to 90 percent of every weekly listen and there's a whole bunch of other smaller ones out there um it's just, you know, it's, it's cool to see that many people in one week. Listen, as we, as we, as we joke, 
we always joke about, well, is it a Kobo sellout yet? And we're like, yeah, this week we sold out Kobo Hall twice. Two nights, not bad. man. Not, not bad. Not bad. Um, all right. So Hold this... on. we got to do, we got, I got to plug my show. Oh, you got to plug your show, which by the way, Mark, I got a copyright claim against left for dead last week. Thank you very much. Although it was only a copyright claim on Facebook, YouTube, let it go. But there you go. I got slapped with a copyright claim people. Yes. So uh, Friday, uh, September 16th, left for dead and TNT, uh, the Ted Nugent tribute. Um, and a couple other bands are going to be at the token lounge in Westland, Michigan, big special night for me. It's the, first left for dead show since this crazy pandemic um you know so we're finally getting out first show so we want to see you guys out there um it's gonna be a lot of fun and uh, hoping to see some uh, a lot of the a matter of fact it's funny i've been to a few concerts lately and you know it was just funny i'm at a ted nugent show and people are coming up to me i'm at a zz top show people are coming hey you know so guys i i love the fact that you guys uh you know are just come up and say, Hey, Hey, we like the show. That just means the world to me. Cause like I say all the time, the third, the knuckleheads you see here are just you, you know, we're just fans. This is, I didn't go to school to this. Mike didn't go to school mm-hmm. for the no, time. We just, we just do this to have fun. And the fact that it, 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 uh, you know, resonates with you guys. It entertains even, you. Yeah. Even better, even better, man. So thank you so much for the love. It, it means a lot. And again, um, hopefully you guys can come out and see. I'm playing in both bands that night. So um, it's going to be a lot of fun. Bring so. your bras and panties and throw them on stage. There you go. All <laughs> right, Mike. Well, what All right. We got so we have a fantastic guest and interview we this week. I, I mean, and I'm not just doing the Branville tool hype here. This was a great conversation. We're joined by Julian Gill from KISS FAQ, otherwise known as the Cesspool. He's joining us this week. (laughs) And we are talking all about Aerosmith, his book about Aerosmith. But most importantly, you do have to wait until the very end of our discussion with Julian. Because Julian and Mark have a great conversation about elitist hoarders (laughs) no seriously it's a great conversation about the leaks audio and video leaks that have been going on the consequences of those leaks both those guys share their their um their feelings their passion as to why they collect i mean if you really want to understand what drives a audio and or video collector you got to listen to the very end of this because it's a fascinating conversation and you know don't hate julian because he came on our show all right Uh, let's let's love him even more love him even more i mean he tells it like it is he's very honest um he's a great guy i've known him for many years he moved out to san francisco in 98 that's when i moved here too I mean, he was one of the first people when I was doing Kiss Online that I ever hooked up with and got him involved doing doing stuff in Kiss Online. You realize how much a, a part of that cesspool is going to be so pissed that we're like, those guys are friends? No. Oh God, they're going to hate that. Enemies. Heads will explode. 
Yeah, guys. Drywall will collapse. <laughs> we're, we're Christmas card close. Okay. Sorry to bother yeah. you. I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah, it is. Anyway, <laughs> fantastic discussion with Julian all about Aerosmith and collecting audio and video. You will want to listen to this whole thing as much as it will pain you to listen to three sides. Listen this week. Friday, September 16th, the Token Lounge. Detroit's original rock and roll dogs left for dead. Return to the stage for the first time in over two years. With TNT, America's number one Ted Nugent tribute band, recreating the classic 70s sound of the Motor City Madman. Also appearing, The Nightmare, Detroit's only Alice Cooper tribute band, and Sybil and the Beast. Left for Dead and TNT. Friday, September 16th at the Token Lounge. It's going to be a Motor City Madhouse. Three sides of the coin, and we're here. And you can hire us to say something on video for you. But but before everybody like rolls their eyes and goes, what the hell am I hiring three sides for? We are donating 100% of the money we raise to charity, okay? So think about that when you want us to say something. We can do a birthday shout-out, an anniversary shout-out. Lisa can do like a Paul Stanley rap. Couldn't you, Lisa? Would you do that, please? I can sing Read My Body. I can do a Paul Stanley rap. Anything that you want to do, I'll do. Mark, well, not everything. Would, would, would you get up and go open something? No, but I'll <laughs> say something funny. <laughs> I'll read a comment. <laughs> yeah, Tommy will. Re- you can send Tommy a comment and he'll read it. Now, seriously, you guys all know what Cameo is all about. We'll do a video shout out for any occasion saying anything you want. You know, I don't know if we've even got any limits. You could you could have us say something like three sides of the coin sucks and we'll do mm-hmm. that. Well, I mean, does, we're, we're real easy here. So head over to Cameo.com. Look for three sides of the coin. The four of us will get together and record a video message for you donating all of our money to charity. Mm-hmm. Three sides of the coin. I don't I don't know how to describe this is like, is this like the Matrix? Is this like a takeover? Is this an invasion? I don't I I don't care. I mean, I'm sure somebody's going to describe it in some crazy ass way. But we got Julian Gill joining us this week. And honestly, Julian, I think this is the first time you've been on the show. It is since I turned down your last invite long ago. (laughs) I know. Hey, you know what, Mike? Thanks a lot for inviting me to be on. And Tommy and Mark, obviously, it is an honor and a privilege to join you guys finally. And uh, I got to give you a big shout out before we get into anything. I want to thank you guys for every time you've mentioned one of my books. Oh, over over the years, you guys have never shied away against mentioning them. And every time you've mentioned them, it's helped. It's helped keep them out there. It's helped keep them alive. It's helped get the word out. So I want to thank you guys for that. But I also want to thank everyone who may have purchased one of my books as a result of hearing it on three sides. So thank you all. That's awesome. Well, I tell you what, as these guys know, I rave about any book that, you know, I, matter of fact, I I brought this one out, Julian, just because I know you're as big a fan of it as I I am going to have lunch with him this week. Are you really? Oh, I'd love to be a fly on the wall for that. Um, guys, that's the great thing. And that, you know, Julie and I are, are, are good buddies and we, we share this same musical lust, if you will. 
um, for all things hard rock. And it's, and it's great um, to have a, you know, have a buddy out there like that. It's it, it just like, you know, even with Mike and Tom, it's, it's, it's such a band of brothers. It's not funny. Yeah. But, but Mark, I don't, I don't think Julian shares quite the same love for pretty boy Floyd that you have for them. Both their oh, first the album. <laughs> <laughs> look at the time. Uh, no, well, Jul- I, I, Jul- Julian, I mean, you're, you're, Every time we mention your books, it's from the heart because I mean, we, we've bought them, we've read them. Um, you know, it they're just filled with so much minutia and facts, which geeks like us just go crazy over. I mean, you know, I remember when when Odyssey came out. I mean, we were all just like, oh, my God, we're getting the Odyssey book. Can't wait to read the so Odyssey cool. book. And, you know. I mean, so it's it, it again, it comes from our heart. We really mean it. Um, I mean, you've you've written more books on Kiss than any other author. I I think it's safe to say I don't think there's any other author that's written more about Kiss. I don't think there's any author that should have written as much as I have about kids, <laughs> to be perfectly honest. And some of them I like to deny knowledge of. They're like stepchildren <laughs> to me now because uh, so many years have gone by. You know, I like to think some of my writing has improved because some of those early ones were just a just a hodgepodge of mess. But, you know, I can't remember things, so I have to write them down. And as a result, I also like to read them when the electricity's off and uh, not rely on the Internet surviving. So that, that's why they get bound up. Every, all of the information in those, Odyssey, whether it's Danger Zone or the, the solo albums book, or even the album Focuses, which I deny all knowledge of, they're all still available online for free. And that's important to me, um, that people can read the information, but also buy the books if they wish to have a, a printed copy. You guys need those. Those are those are like fucking Kiss 101. I, I, Julian, I love the album Focuses. They're so much fun. I mean, all they're so every- badly written. <laughs> <laughs> Who cares about quality? I mean, you're on three sides of the coin. Let's be honest. Oh, well, well <laughs> I, I do like to. Shittier I, I than do, that. Yeah, I do like to not give people seizures with uh, typos. <laughs> I mean, I, I make enough of my own without you know getting falling uh, to the capricious gods of cut and paste. Listen, but- we we won't mention names, Julian. When you sit down to write a book, you actually write a book and release a book. Yeah, and I also write books that I don't release because they don't make the standard. You know, mine also start off with a budget, and you don't you don't have to crowdfund or anything like that. I will not take a person's money until I am satisfied that it is worth my money. Wow, but it sounds really a lot cool like concept. a conversation we were having between ourselves when we had a guest on at one time. <laughs> Listen, seven it, it, seven it, years <laughs> ago, Mark. Seven years ago, we had that conversation. That well, can I interject on that as well? Sure. Because oh, absolutely. I had that same guest on, and I believed in that project, and I put my money in. And you know what? I was wrong. You guys called it. You were right. We are sitting here in mid-2022 and refuses to even update. So I'm happy to raise my hand to say I was wrong on that. You know what? We put our hopes sometimes, our hearts, where before our minds. And uh, a lot of us got it wrong. 
And there we are. Well, you know, it's not about being wrong or right. It's honestly more about we feel bad. We didn't want anyone to get taken advantage of. Yeah. And that's why I feel bad, Tommy, because I had that person on my show and people may have put their money in because he was on a show that maybe they trusted too much in that circumstance because um, I bought into it. So, you know, there's a responsibility that we have. Um, and, and I do kind of take that side a little bit more seriously now when it comes to putting people on the show with a project. It's like, is that project actually got a strong chance of happening, you know, um, or am I letting my emotions rule? Um, right. You're, are you letting the cool geek factor? Because, I mean, even back then, the three of us were honest when we said, you know, if that book comes out, that's going to be cool as hell. Mm-hmm. And we really do want it when it comes out. I mean, the that was the separating the take that was taking off the rose colored geek filled kiss glasses that fans like to wear all the time and going, you know what, let's take those off. Wait a second, Mark, Tommy, this doesn't feel right from a pure what's being told to us and and what's being planned in a business standpoint. It was, you know, honestly, it was. I think it was probably the only time, I mean, you guys let me know that after a show, we all three jumped on and said, no, this didn't feel right at all. And we got to do something about it rather than just letting it go. And I don't think we've ever done that with anybody else. If you remember what caused Not until today, anyway. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) If you guys remember, and I'm not trying to throw our, you know, uh, throw Ross under the bus, but Michael reached out to him in a nice professional manner. And didn't he print something you oh, wrote? He posted, like, he posted the private message conversation we had, you know, trying online. to make, yeah, trying to make Michael look bad. And, and we're like, you know, dude, we were asking legitimate questions. I mean, no different than anybody would ask somebody who's, asking for money well do you have a budget do you have a timetable do you because our original and well at least i can speak for myself the original complaint about ross was he's never going to have that thing out by christmas because that was what like june we talked to him in june of 2015 and he said it would be out and available by christmas of 2015 yes and and we the 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 three of us just said categorically that just and again i don't know anything about publishing a book but i do know basic business and there's just no way and we were i you know i've said this a million times on the show but but just for those newbies because there are people that that are when we had him as a guest we're texting each other going this isn't right, man. I, we sense. don't like this. This isn't good. Yeah. And like this guy's over his head or he doesn't have a budget and blah, blah, blah. And, th- and that's what when we, when we were done, we're like, oh, we can't release that. We, we just can't. And that's and- the important part for me, Mark, that I take all the risk. I assume all risk financially on one of these projects until it actually is available for someone to purchase directly through a reputable seller, which is why I do all my stuff through Amazon. I don't want anyone backing me because I may get a friendly phone call from a band rep saying, Hey, we heard that you're working on a project. I would really rather that you don't, which has happened. And, mm-hmm. you know, you, you just have to, you know, then suck it up. So you don't accept people's money. You don't play. You want to gamble in Vegas. Don't rob a bank. 
take your own damn money. I mean, technically you should rob well, a bank. So yeah, you don't I mean, lose your own money. But, I mean, that, that, you know. that was the thing. I mean, we're, we're all for, and we've done it so many times of helping kiss fans with whatever their project is mentioning something. But when, when you go from sort of, you're doing it for free because you love it to you now pay me for this. It's just a legit business now. And you have to, you have to deal with it like a real business. And, and that's what turned us off. That's what we were. It's like, boy, this, he doesn't understand. He didn't understand business. He didn't understand what was going on here of printing and shipping and, you know, customer service and all this other stuff and licensing photos and you, you name it. It all just, it, it was a fan who had an incredible vision and an incredible desire to build something but didn't have the business foresight to execute on it. Yeah. I mean, you know, one of the things Gene Simmons has always said is everybody's got ideas. Ideas are worthless. You, you know, you've got to have the money to execute on that idea and make it real. So Ross had a great idea. He just didn't have everything else to make that idea real. And you, that, can't, that, you can't see the red flags when you're wearing rose tinted glasses. That's exactly it. I mean, you've got to, when you become business, you have to stop being a fan. Or, or let's put it this way. You have to be the fan when you're writing that book and putting it together because you want to make it read and look as cool as possible to make fans go, oh my God, that's exactly what I want. But when you're not in that writing producing mode, you can't be a fan. You've got to realistically be able to step back and go, all right, this is a business and I got to make some hard ass business decisions here that may not be the best for the book is, is a 500 page hardcover book. The best solution for this. Maybe the wrong guy. Well, yeah. I mean, you know, a fan is going to go, Oh, I don't give it. Well, we saw it. A fan is going to say, I'm doing it exactly the way I want to do it. And nobody's going to stop me from doing it. A business person is going to go, that's bullshit. You can be stopped in a second. It's funny to see how Alan's just eating his lunch. I mean, Jesus. Good for Alan. Well, you know, I I don't know what went on behind the scenes there, if there's some bad blood or not. But and again, Alan, what a wonderful gentleman. Um, You know, um, I know he's a friend of all of ours here and he's been a guest on the show a few times. Uh, He's got a new book coming out and uh, even added... and, and trust me, I didn't I didn't miss the irony of the new one being the all about the movie. <laughs> He's now put out, you know, photo uh, books and phantom books. Gee, who else yeah. was going to do that? Yeah. So, I mean, like I said, uh, it's a, is it different than what I think uh, was uh, Ross's intention? Yeah. But again, I, is it 140 pages of phantom that you can actually <laughs> buy in the shipping today? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> that you'll yeah. receive? Yep. Yep. Yeah. And I tell you what, uh, I know uh, both you and I have helped with those uh, projects, and it's always uh, a thrill to be asked by uh, people that you know are going to deliver, um, you know, on a product. And, and uh, Alan and Pierre are just fucking knocking it out of the park with these. Two fantastic uh, gentlemen. Absolutely yep. fantastic. Magnificent stallions, those two. 
Nice. <laughs> Stallions. Yeah. Yeah. They are, they are you get Merkel people. worked up. <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, but you know what? That's just like Julian said, you know, I met those guys on the cruise, you know, and when you, there's a difference, man. That's how come I preach that all the time on the show. Get out, go to the shows, go to the expos, go to the cruises, go, go meet other fans. Because for every, you know, jerk off you meet, you're going to meet a thousand other great ones. You know what I mean? So people, people like Alan and Pierre and, 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 and Julian and, and you, are you, that's how I met you knuckleheads, you know, getting I mean, the, out the, of the, the house and going. The, the KISS Army, the vast majority of the KISS Army are great people. They are. I mean, it's fans who help other fans who want to have a good time, who want to just listen to some music. That's it. I mean, you know, and yes, there's there's sour patches out there. They don't represent the vast majority of the fan base. And, you know, the cool part, and this is this is a nice segue here. You find out some of your fellow fans, your fellow KISS fans, also share your passion for other bands. Like Pretty Boy other... Floyd. Oh, boy. Yeah. All right. but, uh, yes, well, continue the segue, because we are here to let Julian talk about another one yeah. of his books. Guys, I, I mentioned I mentioned this when uh, when it first came out. Um, God, it was, it was gotta be at what, at least a year ago, wasn't it? Half a year ago. Yeah. That, that was, was a it? proof copy. So that was well in advance. Yes. I didn't, I didn't get it done until November. Yeah. I, well, anyways, I raved about it on the show. I'm like, you gotta get this guys. There's so much, and we're about to get into this. If you would have asked me in the summer of 1978, who my favorite band was, it would have depended what time of day and when you asked me because Kiss and Aerosmith and Ted Nugent. I mean, that was the 70s. You know, you can throw Cheap Trick in there too, but I'm talking in 78. Um, all those acts were playing arenas and stadiums and they were everything to me. And uh, getting to know Julian over the years, Aerosmith, means quite a bit to him enough so that uh, he wrote this fucking awesome book so uh Aerosmith, i was gonna say go aerosmith on tour 1973 to 85 and and just so everybody knows you can get it on amazon.com right now i'm looking highly, at i'm, I'm looking at i'm looking at the add to cart page right now 71 ratings it. and it's almost a five-star book i agree i agree just rave about it um, it, it's so chock full of information and I'm letting you guys know as a major kiss geek, there's a lot of kiss in here, a lot of stuff you're going to want to read about. So with that, Julian, what made you want to write this thing? The kiss books, you know, when I was doing the research for kiss on tour, you know, around the same time before kiss life forever came out, I was building up notes and newspaper clippings and articles. And I kept seeing Aerosmith on opposite pages or in the next issue. And I love Aerosmith. Growing up in 85, when I first really started getting into rock and Kiss came into my life at that time, I, you know, before that I was Quiet Ride and Def Leppard and Duran Duran. Um, you know, I, I really loved the band from 
the moment I got into hard rock. So it was as much as my DNA is about Aerosmith as it is about Kiss. So why do I want to write a book about Aerosmith? It's because the same sort of details that I'm building up a catalog for about Kiss's touring history in the 70s, I'm finding the same stuff about Aerosmith at the same time. And I'm just squirreling it aside. And it, it turns into 15 years or more that that's just sitting to the side, accumulating while I'm doing Kiss on tours every other year, updating them with continuous information and whatnot. So, so why did I want to do it? I wanted to put together the book with the same sort of impact that Kiss Alive Forever had on the Kiss community when it first was published, that it had the touring history, that it had the set list, that it had interviews um, and, and vignettes of historical information for Aerosmith. And I wanted to learn about the band myself. I wanted to you know, deconstruct Walk This Way in the autobiographies and see how much of that stuff was true, how much I could prove and how much I could disprove. So I that, love, that's where it comes from. I love because this is one of the things, as you know, I've got, I've got a huge archive of KISS articles like you do. I love the fact that you included so many concert reviews in this book. I mean, guys, it, it, this, is, this, is, this is a great read. And, and again, you got to remember, in, in 1977, when, when Aerosmith was on tour, just like KISS, those reviews were of a band that had been around just for a few years. None of the reviewers were trying, were saying it's the legendary kiss or the legendary Aerosmith. Oh, just the contrary. And boy, you know, what's funny because in the eighties kiss just had this great, excuse me, Aerosmith had this great revival that I got to be honest. I think if you read enough kiss articles and watch enough kiss clips, they were jealous of kiss kiss was jealous of, Aerosmith's success on MTV and in some ways tried to duplicate it. But going back uh, into the 70s, you know, much like Paul Stanley says about his house, you know, this is the house that bad reviews built. Boy, oh boy, as Julian can, you know, exemplify, exemplifies in this book, boy, Aerosmith, they, they caught a lot of, uh, a lot of arrows, man. And I don't mean the kind that start with the A E R O. Um, I, in in the uh, in the in the They're press, vicious. they got hammered. Oh, yep. the Rolling Stone imitator. I mean, was just about in every single review. Just about every single review, they called them a poor man's Rolling Stones. Wow. And you would have thought you would think because of the way things are now in 2022. I, that big MTV era helped, but you go into those early reviews, they're brutal, just freaking brutal. Well, you know, one, the one, one of the things I've, I've learned about, about the media and reviewers, when it comes to a band, it, it's much easier to review a band that's got a history and a legacy. But if we go back to 77, you know, again, Aerosmith and Kiss... 77 pretty young brand new bands they you know yeah they they're 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 heading up but they as you said mark they're not referenced in 77 as legendary yet so a lot of media wants to be able to well what are the what's this new band like how do i compare them what do i pigeonhole them as very few reviewers want to actually put the work in 
to listen and describe and hear the influence and all that other stuff. They just want to say, sure, Aerosmith back in the 70s, that's just an imitation of Mick Jagger and the Rolling Stones. You know, and, and, and honestly, if you move into the 80s, I was hearing the same thing like about Rat. Oh, Rat, they're just a cheap imitation of Aerosmith, which is just a cheap imitation of the Rolling Stones. So that you know, hasn't changed much either, though. People are still that way. Well, people still I get that all the time. When I talk to bands I'm working with, I'm like, guys, you know, your music is is absolutely phenomenal and great. But I'm just giving you the heads up here that you do not clearly fall into a predefined genre. You do not fall into identical to this style, this band. You kind of cross over which is a good thing, shows a lot of influence, but it's very hard for media today to just do a quick write-up without being able to say, well, are they heavy metal? Or are they speed metal? Are they melodic metal? Are they blues metal? Are, you know, they want, they, they want a clear, simple definition. And, you know, again, you look back in the mid-70s, band Kiss and the Aerosmiths were not legendary, so they were being... They were being given those descriptions by media. They weren't, they weren't respected either. You know, no. that's the whole thing about Aerosmith in the 1970s that you find from reading these reviews, also tracking all the data of how they do on the charts. Like Kiss, they're not a singles band. Like Kiss, they were very lucky in many ways, but they worked hard at that luck. They, they had a, a completely different path, you know, to success than Kiss did. But the reviewers, I mean, they're brutal to call Steven Tyler the bastard son of Mick Jagger and Carly Simon. I mean, just is, is absolutely horrendous. And you don't read that in just one. You're reading that in multiple reviews across. You're also reading the same review from in the same city. Sometimes every other tour when they're back is pretty much the same review, you know, bashing them for being a Rolling Stones inspired band. But at the beginning, they're bashed for being a New York Dolls clone before they're being bashed as a right. Rolling Stones one because the Dolls and Aerosmith are two bands that come out of the exact same place at the exact same time with the exact same management. So, you know, that that's probably a more valid kind of, uh, you know, comparison between the two that Kiss doesn't get thrown in with the Dolls as other than being doing what the Dolls couldn't do, play good music consistently. Ooh, ouch, ouch. <laughs> I like hey, the, the, hey, the dolls are great, but they weren't consistent. No, they were right. not. They were not. And I think that's ultimately the uh, two things I want to talk about Aerosmith. Um, Tyler himself, while a great musician, could literally play anything in the studio from, you know, uh, from guitar to, to bass to piano to drums. I mean, very talented guy. Here's the one thing, you know, Paul Stanley was always kind of the ringmaster. Tyler wasn't. Tyler, he was the curmudgeon on stage. And if you weren't clapping, he got pissed. Express yourself, Mark. Express yourself. Yes, That's one yes. of his catchphrases in the 70s to tell the audience to get up off their asses and express themselves. Yep. Yep. Um, I Again, he doesn't give you the warm and fuzzies like Paul was trying to convey you know all wanted to love everybody yeah boy he tyler on the other hand you know just none of that just absolutely none of that 
very almost reclusive to a to a bit. You know what I mean? Um, His passion burned deep inside and it came out, you know, the way he played. He there was no bullshit about Steven Tyler in the 70s, because I think there's a lot about bullshit. He really turned into somebody who I wouldn't even recognize. Not that I was friends with him him or anything, but, you know, now he's the Hollywood type. And I think that's why, and this is something I want to get Julian's opinion on. Um, And I think that's why Aerosmith has not done. Julian, let me, let me pick your brain here. I can go right down the line with, you know, Cheap Trick and Deep Purple and Van Halen and all these bands from the seventies who went through rocky periods we don't necessarily have to name the album but you know van halen three and you know stuff like things that just didn't go right but all of those bands in in my opinion kiss i love sonic boom and monster i think every one of those bands has has kind of redeemed themselves and put out a mission statement album whether it's sold or not didn't matter but it was good i don't think aerosmith's done that I have not enjoyed an Aerosmith album in total um, since 87. I, I like, I'm going to go just beyond the pale. I like um, Permanent Vacation. I don't like everything after. I like bits and pieces. I don't get me wrong. I bought every one of those records, but I did not. The reason I became an Aerosmith fan, I can't find any semblance of that on the later records i mean there's are there some songs like voodoo medicine man yeah that that sounds like aerosmith to me but some of this other stuff just just doesn't what is your opinion on post 87 aerosmith in total it's a completely different band so there's there's two factors that you have and that's why this book ends in 85 that's the line in the sand between real Aerosmith and Aerosmith 2.0. I'm not going to call it old, new, decaffeinated Aerosmith. Two completely different bands with two completely different ethoses. Permanent Vacation, to me, is not that far separated from Get Your Wings, structurally, in terms of Joe and Brad are very distinctive guitar voices on that album. There's a lot more writing between Joe and Steven still in play on that album. Um, The bringing back of the horns and the kind of things that embellish the album are more a parallel that I can draw with what was done on Get Your Wings. But it's two completely different bands in that they realized very early on that they needed gimmick songs. So... Dude looks like a lady. Love in an elevator. I mean, Christ almighty, MTV fodder that I loved. Um, so it just completely different bands. I mean, it does get more and more difficult with each album because there are less and less Perry Tyler compositions and more with the Hudsons or the Valances and all these other co-writers coming in but they were never really a co-writing band it was usually the music came first and then Tyler did correct the lyrics you know Joe Joe would sometimes do some but couldn't hold the melody the the thing for me though is like I've always been an Aerosmith fan but I'm not a huge Aerosmith fan so there's a lot of this stuff like I'm going to read your book and I bet I'll find 90% of it to be stuff I didn't know 
But I, to, to Mark's point, the thing that's bothersome to me is how much Tyler has changed. Even if you want to make an argument about any one of the members of KISS, I still recognize them, even if their beliefs or some of the things they espouse have changed over the years. Paul Stanley is still Paul Stanley. Whereas I watched that Joe Rogan interview with Steven Tyler and I don't know, he just, he struck me as just like a bitter old man. It, it was, I don't know, it was almost uncomfortable to listen to. And that has to have something to do with why they are what they are right now. Well, they if all have their own managers, basically. I mean, what that band has become in latter years with each member essentially having their own management is if you think of a band like a marriage, we always hear that, you know, now think of a band that's a marriage of five people and five managers adding into the next mic business side of that equation. Is that like a nightmare? It's a nightmare. To happen? And now try and do an album. Well, yeah. I mean, I was going to say, you know, another band that is exactly like that is Motley Crue. Yeah. I mean, I remember I was working with Motley Crue when they did their reunion, the Carnival of Sins tour, when they got back together. And, you know, you know, the media, the stories, oh, the magic is back. No, the magic isn't back. I remember on that tour, each guy had their own personal assistant. Each guy had their own manager. Each guy had their own lawyer. Each guy had their own tour bus. There was nothing that was a band unit there. It yeah, was, that way. And, and it's still that way. And, and I think that's bad. I mean, that, that's, that's how you just make money. Let's put it that way. That's what happens when you're just interested in maximizing the money for your own pocketbook. You know, if, if you really want to try and make it, you know, that four-way, five-way marriage work, you figure out how you get one manager for the band who's looking out for all of you. You know, like it or not, Doc McGee manages KISS. Paul Stanley doesn't have a separate manager from Doc McGee. Gene doesn't have a separate right. manager from Doc McGee. When you have all those different parts, dude, you know, it could, it could take a week just to get a meeting scheduled because you've got to get four band members, four lawyers, four managers all to agree on the same thing. And, you know, they can't even agree on the same day and location to have a meeting. How are they going to get into the studio and become a cohesive unit and write something? And, you know, and, and, and we can all sit back and go, yeah, in the KISS world, listen, once, once Ace and Peter were no longer band members, they had their own managers. They had their own lawyers. Gene and Paul had their own. Yeah. yeah you know, anybody want to know why Psycho Circus was a, a mess to write and record? I mean, you got all these voices in there. Ah, you know, I want my client to get this much attention and this much money. And this guy's fighting for this. And the band is trying to go, we just want to record an album. You know, so, you know, I was going to say that, you know, I, I'm an Aerosmith fan, but not huge by any means. And I don't know all of the personal history and drama but i got to imagine just from what i look at from the outside that what you brought up julian that's kind of it it's this is a band now that isn't a band it's a business 
and they're and, just and they've been on hiatus because of COVID. So, but also look at the music that they do put out. Joe does his solo work. Stephen has done his solo work. Two completely different things. Stephen wanted to put on a country tinge. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brad went back and did some work with Derek St. Holmes again, thank goodness, and put out a yeah. fantastic, fantastic mm-hmm. album. You know, so they're not really on the same page musically either. So mm-hmm. I think we do grow. We do evolve. Stephen made a very clear uh, change. Volume two goes up through 2006, 2008, and it stops with Guitar Hero. And when Stephen kind of goes off into well, Hollywood. Hollywood, Stephen, yes. Yeah, he wants to be t- he wants to be personality and he wants to be Stephen, not Aerosmith's lead singer. So I, we evolve, we change that. They even are celebrating a 50th anniversary this year and have just released a stream of five, you know, streams of uh, classic shows, you know, online is a good thing. And, you know, what I think that is important when we start digging into the history is going back to the good stuff that really matters, not what they become or what they are as people. Um, because that's all separate to the music, to the experience. And Mark had in the 70s going to a concert. Were you worrying about, you know, what they were as people? Are you getting into the music? You like Ted Nugent. Do you worry about what he's doing necessarily? Or do you dig the music first? I before just, just want to rock. Yeah, Deep Purple. Would you, do you want to go through each one of those guys' sins and lifestyles? Oh, no, that all, that all becomes heavy. You know, I'll leave that to TMZ. I want to celebrate the music, the history of the band on the road, whether it's Kiss, whether it's Aerosmith, whether it's Def Leppard, whether it's the other band I'm working on, you know, and, and really delve into how they were perceived at the time, because how they're perceived at the time is completely than how we look at things now, sitting back with 50 years of hindsight. We're the beneficiaries of all that. We've made their legacies, whether we love them, hate them, don't care. You know, we're all have an opinion about Aerosmith, even if you don't like them. You're like, oh, you're thinking of a song right now that made you hate them or made you love them. So I want to I go back to the history and try and prove as much as I can about the story, the myths and find out about what it was like to be on the road making your bones with Aerosmith in the 70s. And it's I think it's a fun story. Oh, incredible. Again, guys. This book has got so much minutia in it. And, and again, it, it, you can't help but be awash in just 70s hard rock, 70s music, 70s politics, 70s everything. Because everything in this book just exposes you to that innocent time where this band is rolling into your town. They, the, the newspaper sends either some young kid, it seems, or some old geriatric who was, you know, there's one of the reviewers and he was talking about the Beatles or something. And it was, you know, it was, and it was like, boy, you're that whole generation shift in the review to me. I was like, there's a reason you didn't get it. This isn't for you. This yeah. Just like the poor reviewer who went to the Mahavishnu show and ended yes, up with yeah. Aerosmith opening. Yes. I mean, you just got to feel sorry for that guy or, you know, the Springsteen fan who goes to a show and there's Aerosmith on the bill. But I mean, that that's part of the importance of, you know, what I've tried to do with this in mirroring something like Kiss Alive Forever. I talked to the guy who rejected them in 1971, who turned them down for a record deal on the, that their demo sucked you know, basically, and, and got the story from the horse's mouth. David Krebs spent a lot of time. He's their original manager. Number one, he explained the business to me and how Lieber Krebs and Triple C 
and the publishing arms, you know, were set up and how they worked. And the business side, if you want to understand a band, Mike, your podcast does this explaining music business to people who want to learn about it. Well, you know what? Having the music business explained to you by David Krebs. Oh, those uh, those legends will will paint a whole nother picture. It's 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 almost like, you know, there's always that saying, you know, be careful meeting your idols because you might not be happy after you meet them in the music business. It's almost more be careful meeting somebody from the business, the manager, the record label person, because they're going to tell you the truth about everything that went on in re- reality, not what you saw when you were at Coba Hall raising your fist to Aerosmith. They're going to tell you about everything that was going on behind the scenes and how the business was structured. And, you know, that that can be disheartening to fans to learn the reality that, you know, that Aerosmith is just a product, like a can of Coke. And there's yeah. a business structure behind it on how to make money off of this and who gets the money and why doesn't this person get the money? And it can, it can remove the magic of music if you're not ready for that sort of discovery of the business side. Yeah, when, you le- when you learn that the, the magic for the band was basically gone after rocks in making music that afterwards it was grind. You know, I use the, the phrase the grind a lot because that really is what it was. You know, here, here was a band that was on the road trying to write and never ever really got enough downtime in between tours that they needed as artists. And it's different for every band. Kiss was able to go back in every six months in the early days. And, you know, they, they fast-tracked a, a catch-up with Aerosmith rapidly uh, when you think about Kiss through Dress to Kill versus Aerosmith through, you know, Toys in the Attic. It, it, it's incredible. But, you know, Aer- Aerosmith was under a lot of pressure to get back into the studio to keep product turning over for the same reasons that Kiss was. I yeah. think that background of yours was a direct result of a life, too, honestly. I, I think with, that, with without a doubt, but uh, it was also breathing space just as much as the Alive album was a breathing space for Kiss. Correct, correct. But it was funny how many I've, I say this to young folks and stuff because I, I get a lot of people asking because they know I'm such a big fan of this sort of music. But how come there's no or very few classic live albums that came out post 1980? I mean, when when you see those things uh, on you know classic rock or even in the modern mag rolling stone it's always the 70s ones for the most part that fill those lists up you know what i mean it, there was just such a passion and uh it's again i i just want to you know reconnect back to your book because that's what i got reading it it just brought back a flood of memories of you know especially to looking at the bills Here's a band, you know, reading that uh, Aerosmith's doing some gigs with Humble Pie. And you're like, Christ, back in 71, Stephen and Joe were like, they were deciding, you know, they loved that sort of stuff. They loved the Fillmore. And, 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 and I'm more so Paul Stanley loved that. You know, these bands that in five years later were, were huge, were, you know, 
these other bands, like I said, like Humble Pie, were gone by then, or you know, nowhere near what they were, uh, you know, in the early seventies. So it's just again, it's just it's a great history lesson to um, you know, uh, especially with American hard rock. I, there's there's so much, uh, like I said, so many cool examples. I love looking at the ads. I love looking at the bills, and and it's funny you you touched on earlier, you know. Aerosmith ate, you know, like I said, they, they ate New York Dolls lunch. I mean, they, you look at, at, I tell you what, look at the, you know, the cover, look at Steven, you can go back in anything, you know, the Mercer art center and go, Jesus Christ, that could have been David Johansson, you know, the, the stripes and the, all these things came from the same cauldron, meaning kiss and Aerosmith and New York Dolls. There's, there's that groundswell. And a lot of those bands came here, meaning the Midwest, to really find their um, their mojo. And Aerosmith, as, as you know, uh, Julian, just like Kiss, Detroit was a hot spot for them. Cleveland was a hot spot for them. Chicago was a hot spot for them. Really, uh, yes. really hot yeah. spot. <laughs> exact, exact. <laughs> yeah, yeah. With Explosively. Explosive <laughs> And you got to read the book, dude, to get that story. That's you know, story. Mark, Mark, to you, to your, to your initial point where you're talking about live albums, I'm wondering if, if part of the reason why it's the '70s albums, so to speak, that make the list, and not anything like you said post '80s, it's, it's, is it because once you get into the '80s, music was becoming very much a formula. The record, it was in the '70s. When the record labels discovered there's a shitload of money we can make on this now, but the kisses, the Aerosmiths, all those bands in the seventies were, were breaking ground and people were learning what worked and what didn't work in the seventies. By the time you got to the eighties, especially the mid eighties, there was just the, the, the labels were just operating on formulas. I mean, you know, the mid eighties, it's like, okay, you release your first single's got to be a hard rock song. The second single's got to be the power ballad. Then we hope to cross over to CHR radio by the third signal single. And, you know, if it didn't follow the formula, they didn't bother with it once the eighties hit. So, but we, but we know like, you know, there was no formula for Kiss Alive. It was like, shit, we got to try anything to save our ass from the band and the label at that time. Yeah. Okay, just let's try it. Boom, that, that, it, it all of a sudden works. That's kind of what I'm trying to convey is that it's 2022. And when Rolling Stone says the top 50 live albums of all time, there's a good chunk of the 70s, a yeah. large chunk. Yeah, because those, I, th I think Mike nails it, that they had a reason to do live albums, live bullets. Frampton Comes Alive, Kiss Alive, Unleashed in the East, you know, Kiss Alive too. less of a reason. Yep. You know, there there are so many reasons why all of those albums, Rush's live album did not work in the 70s. That's probably one major outlier um, in terms of being a, a bit of a, a flop. But then you do get into the 80s. I, you know, I'm trying to, I've, I've been racking my mind trying to think of a really outstanding 1980s live album. I can't really come up with anything other than I, I would death. say um, uh, Life Over, yes, Life Over. Uh, the maiden one would, yep. would be a rare example of, um, I, I, I would say that, um, uh, no sleep till Hammersmith as well. What about intensities in yeah. 10 cities? 
I, yeah, but that, I think that pales to, to double live Gonzo. Well, I'm not arguing that point. I'm just saying 80s. I'm just thinking, okay, what? I mean, yeah, I'm then, not. I'm then, not, it's I'm not... A th- then it's a throwaway. You know, Kiss Alive is we got to buy time to get Ezrin and the band working together. We need product to release. Casablanca needs money, money. We need money. Yes. We need product to ship, product to ship, product to ship. You know, but the band needs breathing space. Then they go back out on tour, you know, and all the drama that plays out in the latter half of 75 for Kiss. Aerosmith, live bootleg. Why does that exist? Breathing space. We got to buy time. We got to keep product out um, because draw the line was so delayed and all that. But we got to get time so they can get back in the studio. So breathing space, it has a purpose. Oh, and yeah, we've got a couple of new songs come together and chip away the stone that we can, you know, throw in there as well, you know, as, as added stuff. Unleashed in the East, it had a reason to exist. You know, so all of those things, they're, they're not just like a contractual obligation of you're going to do three studio yep. albums and a live album as just an add on easy money. Well, it, it's free money, really, because you don't have a lot of effort that goes into them. There's not a lot not, of production involved with it. No, unless, unless you're Kiss and you right. got to go well, back in and redo all of Paul Stanley stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, you're you're 100% right. I mean, there's there's really good live albums that have come out post 80s but they've all been planned contractually okay it's a you've signed a six album deal plus a double live album plus we have the rights to the lead singer and the lead guitar player solo albums none of that a decade earlier was envisioned it was well, never it was never sought as as we want to make sure we get a live album in the the kiss contract that they signed in 1973 it was that 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 that's just you know again the industry was was building was learning was discovering itself through the 70s you know by the the later half of the 70s and into the 80s this was discovered as shit we can print money now Michael, it became now became a business, real Michael, business. Didn't don't you kind of see the irony though on on a band like Motley Crue who are you know he, co-headlining a stadium tour now? They don't have a classic live album. No, I agree. I've always wondered that. And and you look at some of the other bands that are still touring, you know, the Deep Purples, the Ted Nugents, the Kiss, the Arrows. Those bands all have universally people go that that album's important made in japan is an important album and 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 there's no denying it it's just funny because all four of those bands don't have legendary def i was Look, just thinking that yeah def leopard they, poison, poison they don't have legendary Joan Jett, live. none of them have legend it's not that they're not good i'm not saying that i'm saying they don't have a legendary live album. Now, you, there could be individual fans. Well, I know I'm going to hear it, but there'll be individual fans going, oh, you didn't, you know. Look, I think entertainment or death is one of the worst freaking pieces of crap I ever spent money on. It's yeah, listen to, listen to Carnival of Sins on if you want even worse. Yeah. It, it is. It's terrible. Um, I can't even put my finger on it. Why? It, it's just not fun. Now, I've seen Motley Crue a billion times. It, it's the it's funny because Kiss gets gets thrown at this, but 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 wrongly so. 
Kiss delivers live musically. I've always said that. Motley is more of a show. I don't think they talk project- about a band that have to take a live album and go into the studio and spend six months yeah. re-recording it would be Motley Crue. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know what? It's funny too. You look back, Van Halen, no classic live album. True. That's a good one. Yeah. And, but again, look, I, f- I feel bad. We didn't mention cheap trick. Budokan. I mean, yeah, I was, I was just going to get to you know, 70s that, ones. Oh, absolutely. That's mandatory. And obviously Frampton comes alive and, and you know, the, uh, the, uh, the Leonard Skinner live record. Um, that one was that one for the rope, the Ario Speedway. Oh my God. What a great freaking record that is. Um, it's easy. Oh yeah. Fandango. Matter of fact, I wore my Fandango shirt a couple weeks ago. Well, and then also, um, Oh God! I'm live at the Fillmore. Um, oh, Allman Brothers. Allman Brothers. Um, yeah. How about uh, being I, that you're a, a Julian? I'll appreciate where ACDC recorded at over. Uh, that was Glasgow Hall, wasn't it? For uh, um, the live record. Well, if you want blood, uh, for, yeah. if you've got it, yeah. Those, those were the those were Glasgow, I think. And yeah. then the, the the what was the band that Frampton was in before he went solo? Humble Pie. Humble Pie. Humble Pie. Yeah. That record, and then the UFO record as well. Oh yeah. Oh UFO. Oh, yeah. UFO. Hell. Oh, and the Thin Lizzy. Uh, Thin uh, Live and Live and Dangerous. Sabbath never had a good live. Until the eighties, that was. Uh... And it's funny oh, there's too. A lot. And I'm sure that our listeners will find even more that we completely I, forgot. I'm glad Julian said that because that sabotage 1975 release that they just did a deluxe on anybody who's a big black sabbath fan would have had that soundboard tape it was a i think it was a king biscuit i've had it forever um that (laughs) that i still say had that been released in the summer of 76 it would have did for black sabbath what kiss alive did for kiss it's that freaking good I think it was recorded on August 5th, 1975 um, on the Sabotage Tour. Uh, it's in the new box set. You can find it. It's on YouTube. If you just go Black Sabbath, uh, August 5th, 1975. I want to say it's from Philadelphia. Um, I think it's from the Spectrum. But, oh, my God, that album, I don't know why. they. That was a huge missed opportunity for them because everyone was putting out live albums. And they, again, they were at, I think, in my opinion, they were at their musical peak right there because I think Sabotage is the best Black Sabbath album of all time. I absolutely love that record. Um, and it was just everything you'd love about Black Sabbath. And it was just so over the top. And Ozzy was just screaming, God, it's so good. You got to, uh, you got to get the, got to get that one if you haven't gotten it. I, I, now, I, I, think, I, I, think, I think that's just why the 70s for the, for so much stuff what musically was so much better because it was much more real and authentic and wasn't polished and produced correct as a an intentional product so to speak and again once you get into the 80s everything was planned out marketed you know it was negotiated we understand this we know that Nine months from now, we're recording your live album, The Scorpions, at this arena. And they knew it all. 
The genre had defined itself and the record buying public's pattern of behavior was known to yes. the suits. That's so the exactly indus- it. The industry and then understood these the customers popping up out of need because yes. geeks like me wanted this. I I needed this. This this is again, this is a classic 70s. That's the equivalent of Fried Alive. Yes. And Julian, I again I've been collecting these for years. I mean, these are all original 70s copies. I mean, I know you're you're well versed in them. Uh th- this one here just well that that's what my my the companion book that you started holding up, you know, is a guide to all of the classic live recordings of the band. You know, that came out a short while before mine. And it was so funny to find out that two guys from the same city, in essence, were working on a book about the same band following a somewhat similar uh, perspective. He focused strictly on the live recordings that circulate and some which don't. So, I mean, I think he's got Salisbury 73 in there as well. He also had the 71 show that was recently released officially as the road starts here. If you're a, a fan, if you, you know, crave hearing early kiss, go listen to that 71 recording and hear raw early Aerosmith performing dream on with the, you see me crying tag at the end. Oh my God. I mean, it is to die for hair. Yeah. Hair on your Yeah. 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 And, and, you know, in the collector's community, some of those things had circulated prior and some of the things that are listed in the book, but you know, you get to live the history of a band through those bootlegs that Mark just showed, you know, and, and that illustrates, to the point of where the passion was. I was not there in the 70s. I was not in this freaking country in the 70s. <laughs> I didn't know who Aerosmith or Kiss or Cheap Trick or any or these bands were. I didn't, I was in England. I didn't know who Black Sabbath was. I knew who Donnie and Marie were, um, you know, Boney M. Um, I probably heard some meatloaf, um, but the music in my house was, you know, Beatles. Yeah. yeah, poor tortured me having to grow up listening to Beatles. Uh, it's a tough life, but I'll, I'll take it. You know, so, you know, I live vicariously through these soundboard and audience recordings that we get off on. We t- we listen to those, Mark, and you're in the audience. That's why I like the audience recordings. Yeah, yeah, it puts it puts you there. You're standing next to a kid with a tape recorder the size of a Volkswagen that he somehow managed to sneak in, um, you know, to a to a show. And that's why I like to be able to get the set list from a show, get the review from the show, get a ticket stub from that show, get a photo or maybe license a photo from that show and get the ad. You put it all together and then you have a picture of that show that you can go and listen to. And if you're, what's the first thing that anyone who buys one of my touring books usually does, they go and find the shows that they attended themselves yep. to yep. see, did he get it right? Did yeah. he get or, it or is wrong? there something there that I didn't know about that I'm going to learn that happened at the show? Yeah. And I'll tell I, you, the, the ultimate part of doing this book was actually going line by line with it, with David Krebs. And he was like, no, 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 that didn't happen. Five minutes later, he was like, oh, wait, I remember that now. It was jogging their manager's memory. Yeah. I, I mean, that is like a holy wow moment uh, to actually have that. And, you know, I mentioned the input that he had in explaining the business structures behind the band. But he also, you know, help shape it from that perspective. But when he saw something that he didn't agree with or didn't like, he didn't try and change it. 
And that was very important. I also had a, a, another one of the very important interviews in there that's peppered all throughout is their road manager uh, through the 70s. He joined in August 73. His first show with the band, he has a gun pulled on him when he's trying to settle up after, uh, after the show. And they're trying to stiff him money, you know, so talk about having a rough audition to your new job. Well, welcome to the show, Kelly Keller. Absolutely amazing. We've heard a lot of Kiss stories over the years about the two shows that Kiss did with Aerosmith in the 70s, um, where knives were pulled. There were fistfights. One of the fun things in doing this was to get the Aerosmith side of that story from people who were actually there. And that is in the book. And that is, to me, a very cool thing, because we've read Moose's and JR's, um, you know, recollections of being on the road and the stories of what happened at those shows. Now you get the like other book. What? How did we like that book? I love the repeated stories of driving down 94 and ending up in the <laughs> snowbank. Oh, that's the one. OK, <laughs> sorry, Julian. Please continue. No, no, I, 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 rem- I no, obviously, you know. When you've heard those stories, you've more likely heard them on podcasts with more color and more character than is presented in print. Um, so, so you get to hear about Sean Delaney punching a member of Aerosmith's crew and that leading to fisticuffs where Kiss's crew pulled knives on, you know, it was two baseball, oh, Mark, it was two hockey teams. There you that? go. You know, Boston, <laughs> New York City, hockey teams going at it. Two hungry crews supporting their bands. What does a road crew do for any band, Mike? You support, you, do, you want oh, to you're, have you're, that you're, band. You're there to protect your bands back. You yeah. got their and, back. And you're to have, make sure that when they hit the stage, all they're thinking about is the music and killing yep. the audience. Yep. So here we are, we're, get, we're getting the stories from the road crew for Aerosmith about Sean Delaney punching a member because uh, they didn't want to set up Peter Chris's drums on the floor. Well, the facility was round. So you're getting the stories that we've heard about Kiss uh, developed with a different perspective. The Kite Fly, the second show that they did, you get to hear about Larry Harris ambushing the, Aer- the Aerosmith crew in a business meeting. They were trying to get the DJ at the time, Mark, um, Partenu, well, I can't say his name for the life oh, of Parental. Parental, thank you. Um, you know, to get him to play more Aerosmith in Detroit. But Kiss was doing the same and actually funding it. So Aerosmith didn't know that they were the headliner in name only and that um, Kiss basically were pulling all the chords. So you get to hear about those stories and having Steven Tyler having a hissy fit because Kiss basically the crew made sure that Aerosmith went on super late, had a very slow changeover. It's funny how these bands can, you know, play with one another. So it's like the hockey teams. And that's, you know, one of the fun things about doing a book on bands that are related. Cheap trick. Cheap Trick is all there. I noticed that you had BJ Cramp on a few episodes ago. What a great book he's done. And I can't wait to get my copy of it because I know he talked about it. BJ's a great guy. One of my favorite podcasts I ever did was with him on ACDC's Powerage album. Um, Mm. You know, you get to hear Steven Tyler and I think it was Rick sitting on top of a hotel in Des Moines in 1978 watching a hotel, uh, watching a tornado. 
mean, who the fuck sits on top of a hotel watching a tornado after a show? I mean, aren't you running for the basement? You're Midwesterners. Do you, well, you sit there? N- oh, no, no, the tornado. I was, was going to say, I mean, we grew up in the Midwest and when a tornado was coming, Tommy, you can confirm this. We didn't go in the basement. We went out on the front porch to see where it was going to go. So we would know if we had to leave or not. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, it. don't worry. It's 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 going over the other county. So we can <laughs> we're fine. And then someone else says, man, it sounds like there's like a bunch of semis coming up the street. <laughs> yeah. Why is the oh. sky turning this weird shade green. of green? And it's all still in the air. It's like, OK, now it's time to go downstairs. Yeah. But then again, you know, Stephen and Rick, who knows what 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 other items they were partaking in that might have made it more enjoyable to sit <laughs> up on a roof and watch a tornado, too. And that's one thing I don't focus on in the Aerosmith book. I stay away from all of the dirt that they've written about themselves. Those are the rightful people to write about it, just as in the same way I believe that the members of KISS were the right people to write about their drama from their perspectives. Again, David Krebs gave me a great, um, you know, phrase, the Rashomon effect, that if nine people witness a car crash and you ask each one of them what happened, you're going to get nine different stories. So let the band members tell their stories. I wanted it to be pure history. But see, that's know, why your, your, your books are always so good because you have integrity and you stick with what you're doing. I, you know, so I think that's the right way to go. I've got to stick with what I can research. I can't research the dirt and, and the yeah, but you realize because they you lived it. Still but you, you realize you can still put a good, a great book together without having to do that. Yeah, I, I think it's engaging. I, you know, again, the, every, every chapter starts off with a narrative section. So Draw the Line tells you the story of Draw the Line. Kiss gets a lot. So again, Kiss has so many mentions in this because there are so many connections, indirect or, or otherwise. So, you know, Kiss thought about recording at the Senegal, but they couldn't because... Well, Aerosmith was delayed and still trying to record Draw the Line there. So Kiss had to go to the record plant and record Love Gun. So you get connections there. Cheap trick. Kiss, Again, wanted, it, Kiss, Kiss wanted Jack Douglas. Or, or didn't want Jack Douglas. Yeah, I think they yeah. wanted him to record Love Gun um, after. Um, I, I think that story gets messed up in its telling that he was... Call, left a message by Bill Alcoin to come in and remix um, Destroyer because of the negative reaction to that initially. I don't know what, how accurate that is. And I, that's still one area I'd love to delve into more of the Jack Douglas connection. I wasn't able to get Jack for the book, unfortunately. Well, you know, and, th- and that's back to why your books are so great is, as we know, there's there's the band side of the story. There's the manager side of the story. There's the road crew side of the story. Then there's the opening band side of the story. Then there's the record. And it's hard for us to know which one is exactly right and which one's exactly wrong. Because as we all know, the truth is sort of a mixture of all of these stories you get. And somewhere in the middle is a mush of all of it. And, and, that's why you want to talk to all these different people and you want them to say what they remember. It's not saying that what they remember is true, but you take what you take, what Kiss's side of the story is, you take what Aerosmith's side of the story is, and somewhere in the middle of those two stories is what really happened. 
Yeah, and, you can and, only you can only gather all the evidence yes. from as many voices as possible, put it together, and then you have to leave it to the reader to make what they will out of exactly. it from their processing capabilities. Exactly. Can you, can you share a, a, a little taste of some of what you found out through your research of how Aerosmith or each member of Aerosmith truly felt about Kiss? Yeah, because it's it's in the book. Steven Tyler is explicit. I don't know what it'd be like uh, to be in a band like Kissing and dress up like a clown every night and no one know who you are. I mean, it, it doesn't get any more obvious than that. We heard a lot of this in 2003, Tommy, when they yeah. were going on tour together because there was a mutual admiration society that suddenly um, emerged. But Joe, you know, I've got some great quotes from Joe about Kiss. And it, it's like he's backstage and he hears them performing at Painter's Mill in 74. He goes out and he's like, God damn it. Are we going to have to wear tutus to make it? You know, if they're dressed up and breathing fire and burning, you know, people are building bonfires on the seats, basically during a Kiss show. Tom Hamilton's in there. Again, similar sort of vibe about Kiss. Or are we going to have to do this? But what they do say is that they noted the music not just the makeup. The show was an attention grabber, but they had respect for that first Kiss album that they heard as well. They liked it. It's good, solid rock and roll. Joe to Notoriously is still to this day one of the couple, I think you can count on two fingers maybe, the guys who got on stage and jammed with Kiss. Yep. Joe Perry, I think, has done it. He's done it yeah, twice. twice. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's the funny part. One thing I did want to touch on too uh, with you, Julian, is, how similar in some ways the Gene Paul and the Stephen and Joe and the Paul Stanley, Peter, Chris, Stephen, Tyler, Joey Kramer relationships where the lead singer, not always too complimentary about their drummer. Completely um, different, completely different scenarios. Let's start with the drummer part first, since you're a drummer. Um, Peter, Chris and Paul Stanley. I don't even want to go there because I think that's rooted in personal um, I do too. issues rather than professional ones. Steven Tyler and Joey Kramer. I don't think any drummer in their right mind would want to be in a band with Steven Tyler. Steven Tyler was a drummer and a very good one at that. So it was always a challenge for Joey Kramer, who was a very good drummer, who had drummed in a lot of black bands um, and had a very diverse training in terms of his feel. He was doing R&B. He was, uh, you know, drumming along with the choreography that those groups would often do with their stage performance. He had to be in time very much sync like with the watching the body field. language. Yeah, so he, he had to be in touch with that. But Stephen was very particular. Stephen is a tortured artist, and he's got a very particular voice that he hears in his head. You know, you know the voices in Stephen's head have got to make him the worst guy to be in a band with because he can play that guitar part. He knows the melody. Uh, he knows, but on the drummer, it's absolutely the worst thing possible. And Joey, Joey's a sensitive guy. Joey's mm -hmm. a nice guy. Joe, Joe, they're completely different people. And so from that relationship, horrible. Absolutely horrible. And Joey to have lasted in the band 50 years. I mean, he was subbed out in late 83 when he was sick by Bobby Rondinelli. And he's currently, you know, going to be subbed out on this latest run again, you know, 
uh, for personal reasons, you know, but it's got to be withering. 50 years under the microscope of Steven Tyler, not knowing if he actually likes what you're playing. Or and very vocal. And very vocal about it. Oh, shouting at him. Yes. Oh, my God. Yeah. So, but but the, the, the other one, what, Gene and Paul versus Joe and Steven, two completely different relationships. The toxicity in Steven and Joe are oil and water. There's a lot of friction that makes that relationship kind of work. Um, Gene and Paul don't have that. They both had a similar drive and motivation to be successful by any means. When, when we look at how Kiss has always operated, they were always the guys who were focused on that, weren't they? You know, Stephen and Joe, they're symbiotic, but Gene and Paul are in parallel. But, but you know, there was one part of Kisses, and again, this is unique to Kiss. This isn't a similarity with Aerosmith. But Gene got lazy. I mean, and Paul had to take the lion's share. Yeah, the Gene, Gene did in 83, or let's start what a little Stephen's earlier. What's doing now? In, in 2008. Yeah. You know, they both wanted to be um, media personalities. Uh, what was it? Gene's stick back in the early 2000s, the king of all media or something. He tried to take Howard Stern's, uh, you know, title from him that he was going to be Mr. Everything. You know, the Gene Simmons uh, body wax shop, you know. Um, yeah. So they, they, Stephen's an attention whore as well. He is lead singer disease personified. He is so much so you you I'm, I know you know this, but our audience may not. Um, remember the Led Zeppelin thing where they were thinking about getting Steven Tyler um, to do some shows, and from what I hear, they he did rehearse with them. I don't know if they ever recorded any of that or oh, to be a fly on that wall. Yep, yep. Um, but Jimmy Page, who got along quite well with Steven he was flustered that plant wouldn't pull the trigger. And if I remember correctly, then Joe wanted to get a new singer for Aerosmith. I mean, you, again, if you're not a big Aerosmith fan, you know, obviously, cause this is a kiss theme podcast. You wouldn't believe the drama that goes on <laughs> in the Aerosmith. Well, game. Yeah. But, but you know, any, any band that's 40 or 50 years of history with, a couple of the key creative elements there all the time, or most of the time, there's going to be a shitload of drama. I don't care. You name a band. There's always drama. Some of them are better about keeping the drama out of the public eye and out of the fans knowledge, but it is a hundred percent true. It's, you know, a marriage between two people is tough. A marriage between four or five people is nearly freaking impossible. And there's going to, Listen, I was I was there when I was working with Kiss when when Gene and Paul were on the outs. When when Paul, you know, this was during Gene's everything, Gene Simmons, tongue, this tongue, that, you know, whatever. And, you know, I was having conversations with Paul and Paul was just like. He's not respecting the band's legacy. He's. uh you know, I've read this book. I know how it's going to end, meaning it's all going to fail and he'll come back to the band. The drama is always there in these bands that have been around this long. The challenge is how do you see yourself through that rough patch 
whether it's, you know, going to counseling or whatever, or, you know, taking a break, but coming back because you know the two of you together, even if you're opposites, are what make it work. You know, and, and even Gene and Paul, Paul's more vocal about it, I think, than Gene, but it's like, you know, he's my brother, but he's not necessarily my best friend. It's not like I hang out with him and do everything with him, but he's my brother and he's got my back. Yeah, and I mean, just I don't, like I, it's not it's not like that in Aerosmith. But but they've all got their drama and their dynamics, I guess, is what I'm saying is anybody who's a fan would be foolish to think that any band 50 years on doesn't have some of this friction and drama going on behind the scenes. It's there. Yeah. Some, sometimes, again, sometimes becomes more public, you know, Stephen wanting to go do, you know, judge American Idol and, you know, become a country star and all that other stuff. And other times it's a lot less dramatic. But if you talk to the managers, especially the managers and crew people, you will get the stories of, oh, yeah, you there was drama going on. You had no idea what was, it, you were witnessing. And another quick parallel with Kiss, and I know that uh, Julian feels pretty much like I do. My friends always jokingly called it the bogus Aerosmith. But after Joe left in 1979, I love Rock and Hard Place. I loved the shows. I loved the record. I loved, I thought the band was firing on all cylinders. I, I shouldn't say every night because there's some pretty bad recordings too, but man, that was a good band. And Aerosmith fans didn't give it as much of a, I don't know, a raspberry as they say, you know, as Kiss fans did when they switched members, um, you know. Um, so what do you that, think of that, those that, that, that era, I mean, I, I want to show you something because it's in the book. I had to have this this photo in there. Hopefully it shows up. Jimmy Crespo. Love him. I had to do, I had to license this photo that said, good luck, Jimmy, come back, Joe, spray painted <laughs> on the side of the uh, the warehouse. Um, I love rocking a hard place. You know, I don't have any problem with it because I equally love Let the Music Do This Off Me. I've got the rock and rolls again. And Once a Rocker. That was my I, first Joe Perry project album. So well, you, went, you, know, you went in reverse. <laughs> I, I had no choice. I, I didn't know that there, there wasn't a book that I could buy that would tell me which order these things came out. It was like, what did they have at the record barn? That what, day, what could you, you know? find? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, it was like, what Kiss albums there? Oh, there's no elder. It doesn't exist. OK, then I'll, I'll take Gene Simmons solo album. OK, once a rocker. That's Joe Perry. You know, I'm learning about the these bands. So I like that era. And it was important to include it and make sure it was fully represented equally. You know, so I. I licensed a shitload of photos for rock in a hard place tour, you know, or, or hard in a rock place tour, whatever <laughs> you want to want to call that. You know, I think the performances were interesting. Rick DeFay would have loved to have interviewed him mm. and Crespo for that matter, for their perspectives on it. But again, you know, once you get into the realm of talking to official band members and whatnot in these projects and it takes on a life of its own in some ways to stay away from all the all the official members of the band um great album interesting tour because that takes you into 84 in the back in the saddle stuff it, it runs the gamut they start off i think doing six songs for the album live or maybe it was five and by the end of it they're just doing the one uh, you know 
and the audiences rapidly get smaller and smaller. And but, but what was interesting though is Joe. Later on, he's he was a fan of uh, Lightning Strikes. He played so, it. That's what I mean. Yeah, they did Lightning Strikes on on the Back in the Saddle tour, and they've done material from the album. But Stephen also did let the music do the talking in its original form on the Back in the Saddle tour, which is way better. Which is way better. Which Kiss fans? Who was the opening act for the most of that tour? Mark Black and Blue, Tommy Thayer. Mm -hmm. So I talked to Tommy um, about opening for Aerosmith because the next year he's opening for Kiss. You know, all these threads come in. You know, if you love 70s rock, there's so much. I mean, I I talked to one of the guys in Nazareth for this book, Uh, you know, thanks to Robert Lawson for hooking me up with him. You know, just if you love music, Tom Peterson's in there. Great call. Because he saw an Aerosmith T-Rex build in 73 in Philly. There's Cheap Trick represented. There's ACDC represented. I love Joe talking about uh, seeing Angus for the first time. They couldn't believe they thought he was like a little kid. <laughs> Having a seizure. Yes. Gotta love, gotta love I, Angus. I, you know what? Because we got to get running here soon. But I, like you just said, I know it's your book. But as a fan of all this stuff, this this Aerosmith on tour 73 to 85 is just it's 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 the shit, as they say. You got to get this. You will not be disappointed. There's so much of the passion of, of 70s hard rock throughout. And uh, again, you know, um, can't recommend it enough. So, and if you like Mahavishnu Orchestra, they're in there too. <laughs> you know, I do want one, hold on, one other comment publicly. Did you read Sarinda's book? I did not. If you want to hate Steven, you will. It was that was a brutal. Well, I, I I don't I don't doubt it because I mean, come on, none of these guys are saints. And you know what? I've got a stack of books behind me that I I need to read, and maybe I'll add it to the stack um, because I, I I just don't get time to read. Why would I read? I write. I'm not here to read <laughs> books. I'm here to write them. Well, you know it's funny because I don't watch a ton of TV. I'm always reading. I, I like. I I just so love all ingesting all this stuff and again you know obviously for years you know we've been talking about your books on this show um because of all the the things we talked about within the last hour and a half is your passion your knowledge you know you just you give a shit and you and you know you the the facts are what come out again I, i i said this once earlier today but i loved the history of this book every single review is what happened that day there's zero bullshit in it. The writer didn't care that they were going to be a legendary band. And, and like you said, most of them just went, oh, it's a, it's a Rolling Stones ripoff next, you know, and, and they don't realize that now in 2022, you know, Aerosmith's playing a Vegas, right? Well, maybe they're going to be playing a Vegas residency. Hopefully I had um, tickets to one of the first shows and I was so bummed when Steven had to go into rehab, but you know, thank goodness he recognized that he needed to go into rehab and get his stuff together. Did, so. you, did you see Brad's quote though? He didn't think that it's going to happen. Well, you know what? I'm an eternal optimist. I hope the end of the road continues as long as they want to continue it so that I can see more KISS shows. I hope Aerosmith does its residency so that I can see, you know, them again, because I don't go to many concerts. I've got, I've, this year, I've only got Wasp coming up in Anaheim and uh, them back in San Francisco, because that's my bucket list kind of band that I've just missed every single tour. You know, I want live music. And as long as there's bands 
bands like Cheap Trick putting out music. Angel's got a new album in the can ready to go. You know, I want to keep listening to music, but I want to keep digging into those things that I want to learn uh, and, and share. And, and that's what it's going to, you know, and, until my final day, I'm going to keep doing these things. Amen, brother. Amen. So go pick up Julian's book, people. Just search Julian Gill, Aerosmith on Amazon. Easy enough. If you Check like it the, out. If you like the quality of his Kiss books, you're going to like the quality of his Aerosmith book. And if you don't like the quality of my Kiss books, this Aerosmith book is much better as well. It's had a professional copy <laughs> editor go through it line by line. And uh, I haven't found too many typos since. <laughs> a professional editor. What a concept. I wish some other books had editors when they were writing. Spreadsheets, editors, eh, product who needs it. Just exactly. Give me the money. Exactly. Just take um, the money. You know, do here. Let me, let me, pause for a second so in case we want to i won't leave this in do we want to amongst the four of us make a, a quick comment on all the shit that's going on in the kiss world with videos and audio i mean i don't have a problem with it if you want to i don't care julian you want to talk about any of no, that i mean it's no not problem. like we're talking for anything to be revealed but i kind of feel like it would be expected for us all right so imagine we're coming in this all right so julian before we we wrap up I think um, we would probably be a bit remiss if we didn't just pick your brain as to what you think of all the shit that's been coming down in the KISS world over the last, what, is, has it been two months now since videos and audios have been leaked and all the drama surrounding that? I mean, what, what, where's your head at with all this, Julian? First of all, I'm relieved that you weren't going to ask a contribution to pay for the bots to watch this episode. Um, <laughs> oh, no, no. I find I completely finance on my own all of the bots to watch Three Sides of the Coin. <laughs> Thanks. I, I'll send you five uh, extra so we get some extra uh, views this time. No, I think it's problematic. Um that a lot of it is clearly it when things are taken and stolen in essence and put out there, I think it does affect the band and we don't know the impact that that effect will have on both the band because it's not just Gene and Paul. There is a record label that owns the rights to all that material. So has it been great to see? Hell yeah. I'm not going to deny it. I got to see Largo 75 for the first time, but do I see that there could be an impact on future product uh, projects and all of that side of things? The business side is the side that we often forget in our joy and mass euphoria at seeing stuff that we'd only heard about. You have to think about how it got out there. And, you know, just like you, don't handle stolen goods victims to a crime and if there was a crime committed it's uh you know it's it's a problem yeah i mean i think you know our attitude has been the same it's it's cool to see this stuff it's cool to listen to this stuff but you know you got to take the once again we've talked about this many times today and take those fan sunglasses off and remember there's a business behind all of this and that business quite often makes the decisions contrary to what a fan might want. 
Well, look at the creature soundboards leaking. You know, now it has been announced, the track listings of the Creatures box set. You know that some of that material is going to be released on the Creatures box set. What did those leaks do? Those leaks directly stole from the band and label the excitement of announcing that they even existed. Put aside your thorough enjoyment of getting to hear them in their raw state, knowing that Universal is probably going to do something special to sweeten them and make them sound like a unified product worthy of release. But there wasn't as much excitement in finding out about that on the online community. Now, naturally, there are fans who don't follow any of our podcasts, don't read any forums or Facebook groups or mm-hmm. anything, or even blabbermouth or, or anything. So they're not going to know any of the, and they're certainly not going on Metal Sludge. So Universal lost something that was very valuable, something that you can't actually put a price on, um, a loss, a loss of exclusivity is a very important thing in the business. And Mike, on the marketing side, you know how important the excitement generator is, the buzz. They don't get to have that now because all of those things leaked. And then it was like the uh, the, the dog was chasing the tail or whichever way around that freaking saying right. goes. No, you're 100% you're right. I mean, the, the common thing that most bands deal with is Geez, some, you know, somebody leaked the reunion tour before we could do the press conference. And now the cat's out of the bag and you don't get to make your big splash. Is there a financial impact? Maybe, maybe not. But there is an impact to of some value, I guess you could say, to the, the, the noise and the excitement you are going to be able to generate. And I think that's from the most part, that's what we've always been talking about here is um, don't, don't forget that there there's, there's a business behind all of what's happening here. And sadly, it's just a product and there's a bunch of accountants and product managers having quarterly meetings, looking at numbers and going, yes or no. I mean, to some extent, that's what it all comes down to. And Record labels can use the most petty reasons to bury something. You know, that's it. I mean, or to and, not proceed with further not, efforts yeah, not on, make it on better. behalf of a, of a similar yep. similar line. But but people will accuse you of being a, uh, a corporate shill. Oh for, yeah, for having I mean, that no. I am able to take off this hat as a fan, or these rose tinted glasses, and, and put on these clear ones and see. I can see two different perspectives simultaneously. I can understand that there is a business side to this and a fan side. I'm able to enjoy the fruits of all the things that I am talking about, perhaps having an impact, as well as seeing the impact that enjoying or the leaking of those things is having. And that doesn't make you a corporate shill. And and, and I, I take great offense at that, you know, even it being suggested it, has an impact to someone who is only looking at the raw numbers. How many clicks were there on a site after the announcement? What was the, uh, you know, what were the pre-orders? What were this? What was that? Oh, it's nowhere near what the other one was. Well, we won't bother doing the next one then. It's obviously losing its gas. Yeah, or, or, or we won't spend nearly as much money and make the next one nearly as cool because there's not as much interest. I mean, the, the point is, 
there's a lot of these crazy decisions and discussions that go on behind the scenes that, you know, this might come to us as a shock to some people, but the people in the record company may not be fans of kiss. Kiss is literally just like having another sweater on the product roster. I mean, that's all it is to them. What am I working this week? Kiss. What am I working next week? Def Leppard. What am I working the week after this artist? They could give a crap. They're not fans. It's a business. They've got a job and their job is to put together a package, a proposal, projections, and hit those numbers because their job might be on the line if they don't hit those numbers. They may get some angry phone calls from people saying, we didn't sell what you projected. What happened? I, I think I'm freezing up here. You are. A little bit. Yeah. yeah. Good. I yeah. thought it was me. Yeah. Well, Julian, you've been kind of buffering too. Um, but yeah, I mean, you're, you're spot on, Julian. You know, it's, it's fun. This stuff is super exciting and super cool as a fan. And it can also be a bit concerning from a business side as to what might we be able to get in the future as a fan. Yeah. And especially when you then look at that creature set and you see that very tasty couple of CDs of outtakes from the studio sessions, which I'm not aware of them having circulated um, prior. So, you know, what is the what is the damage? How much damage are you willing to risk going down the road of, say, they call it a day? Yeah. You know, and I, I don't think it's overreacting and thinking that there, there could be damage from that, because, again, it, it's hard to tell. But again, right is right. Wrong is wrong. Well, the piece that bothers me the most about this is how reactionary some folks have gotten. Like it makes them angry to even mention the idea that this is a business decision or that it could somehow affect future releases. It's like that to me is just common sense. It's business 101. And I don't know if some of these people live in a bubble or what the deal is, but this is a reality of business. Well, you see, you see the reaction in, in many, many places. I'm going to do exactly what I know is going to trigger some people right now. Don't you dare show a cassette tape. Oh my God, That's Julian! Funny. You hoarder. Yeah. <laughs> what I think. What I think is illustrated often is demanding that they have a right. Oh, the entitlement. To the entitlement bothers me because yeah. I am one of those. You want to call me a hoarder? Call me a hoarder. I don't care. I put the effort in to cutting deals sometimes to obtain rare and obscure material. I cannot commercially do anything with that. That is strictly a collectible for my own gratification. Mm -hmm. um, you either get it or you don't. And would I like to share that? Absolutely. Can I? No. Why can I not share it? Well, number one, it's not allowed. It's kind of naughty. I don't want to get my wrist slapped. Uh, number there's two, there's a gentleman's agreement when you guys go in together to get things. Well, I don't go. I try not to go in with people because then I only have myself to blame if something leaks. Um, but, but, but to Julian's but, point, he but, doesn't. But he theoretically, he, that has a song on it. Yeah, you don't that, own that the song. Could be. Yeah. Well, all of the songs on it, I don't own. The record label, and let me let me tell you about two projects, two Kiss projects. I 
gave audio to the Prima Destroyer one. I gave it. I did not take a cent for it. Why? Well, number one, I thought it was just going to be used as reference material uh, to compare with what they had in the vault. Not that they didn't have it in the vault and mine happened to be the best sounding uh, versions of the songs, but it belongs to the band. And that belongs to the artist whose song it is. And I'm hoping that they do a deluxe that includes that unreleased song that's on that cassette uh, that got edited out before it was released. So in, that's the point I'm making by shaking the tape. I mean, Mark and I get a lot of pleasure out of collecting this stuff, but there's also the thrill of the hunt. Mm -hmm. The people who think that they're entitled to have the benefits of our hunt and our kill, um, sadly mistaken. It doesn't work that way, kids. Good for you. Yeah. I got to go, guys. Julian, thank right. you. It's always a pleasure to see you. I look forward to reading your book. I'll see you Thank guys you, Tommy. Week. All right. Later, All right, Tommy. Tommy. I'll talk you soon. You're, 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 you're spot on, Julian. And I mean, that that's, again, that's just been our attitude on, on the podcast from day one. It's very cool, but illegal is illegal. And you can get, you can, you may not, but you can get in some serious trouble. Let's put it yeah. that way. I mean, and, it, and come on, we, we all know that if you share stuff, it, it leaks. And that's happened to me, you know, hopefully older, a bit wiser. Um, you know, people have benefited from stuff that I've obtained that I've shared um, that has then gotten out. And that's simply the way it goes. And, you know, once, once it's in the hands of bootleggers and they're making money, that pisses me off. Well, I tell you what, let's let's go just a step further, because we run in some of the same circles. All this nonsense that's happening. Tell me if you think I'm out of line. Julie. I think some of the nonsense was that the person who ever got their toes stepped on is new to this game. And what I mean by that is this. We know. That some stuff that we bought in 2000 i'm just using that number randomly say it was recorded you know in 1980 oh it's been out for 20 years by the time i freaking got it how many copies were made i don't know so when i go and i buy something if it eventually leaks if you want to call it that Hey, whatever, you know, and, and I'll, you know, I, I, I use this as an example. That was a the one I got from JR. I had it for 10 years before I started seeing the leaks. You know, Crimea River, who cares? Whatever, it happens. What are you going to do? Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I know. But you know that's the risk. What what's that? Yeah, exactly. And I, and I happily spent that money. I thought, well, did I, do I think, do I think it was shitty how he handled it? Yeah, I did, but. You know, but that's what I think is funny about the current crap is just how offended the person seemed to be. And I'm like, well, look, that's just kind of part and parcel for doing this kind of stuff. Especially um, with the person who it was being obtained from. Correct. Now, probably now that person worst. has a reputation a well-known reputation and I've dealt with the, the person on stuff and I've never considered it as being the only person buying it. I've always just only seen a lot of these things that I obtained as early access fee. 
You know, yeah. with very, very few cases, can I say that that is the, the only one? That one is definitely not the only one. It's going to be in the record company's vault, without a doubt. Um, you know, it was an in-house dupe, you know, of an advance. So that's all it is to me. But the rage leaking, the wholesale rage leaking, I'm not too sure what that accomplishes because it is so damaging. That's almost the kid, the toddler throwing all of the toys out of the pram. And going back to your point of it, possibly being someone new to the game, I don't know. And, and frankly, I don't care who it was because the end result's the same, whether it was someone old, someone new, someone blue, someone borrowed. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I just brought that up because, you know, because we're friends and oh, we talk about that kind of stuff. I was like, to me, I'm like, okay, well, shit got leaked and blah, blah, blah. And it's just part and parcel. Or just like, like I was trying to illustrate here, anything that I had that was out for 20 years, like, look, guy, whoever had it before me could have made, I don't know. You know, when shit leaks, <laughs> to me, it's like, all right, well, whatever. It leaked. But it's not, I see a new form. I don't want to say I think younger fans are the ones who, who are going making a bigger deal out of this than I guess it should be. I'm like in like mind with you. I'm more bummed about the legalities of, of it all. I mean, this stuff was obviously stolen it shouldn't have come out the way it did. That's just a fact. That's not somebody going, Oh, you're a hoarder. You're... No, it's just wrong. Again, I used this example on the show a couple of weeks ago. If Julian contacted Sean Delaney, I'm just throwing it out there and got something. Okay. Well, if he doesn't want to share it, he doesn't have to, you didn't fucking make the deal. You didn't send, you know, a check to these, this person. No different than me. Why do people get upset about that? Because the phrase that's thrown around is that by somehow having these things, Mark, we're an elite. I'm sorry. Yes. Being a KISS fan is not being in the Masons. We're not attaining 33rd, 34th <laughs> level here, you know, and learning secret handshakes. That's Julian, only... Julian, don't did tell I, him this. Did I, did I, did I part of the whole ploy we've got going here. Oh. You know, we don't have a special lapel pin that we identifies as a cruise meetups. There's not like a special, you know, ante room on the cruise ship where all the hoarders assemble and sacrifice a goat. Um, but that would be more fun. I, well, <laughs> you should yeah. do that on the next cruise, Mark, just to mess with people. Just walk down wearing a toga, say off to sacrifice the goat, rattle the tape. <laughs> Oh, we're we're going to burn this tape as a sacrifice. Ooh, um, ouch, ouch. Oh, someone just went out. <laughs> yeah. Smell, you're burn smell, the only smell co- the you're burning the only copy, Julian? Yeah, I bought that tape. It certainly was not the only copy because in the leak is included the same rip that was used to sell me the copy. So they don't have the good rip. So fine. Mine's better than yours. Uh, Hold on, um, but you're not going to throw a fit? Right. You didn't you're not going to write pages no. and pages. Well, of- well no, I, I, because I, again, I knew the risk when I bought that I tape. I was the person who bought it from the person, by the way. It wasn't anyone else. People have this misconception that some other person bought it before me. I bought the I video from the original seller who said, 
yeah you 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 can license it back to the band yeah i, I didn't get a payment for it appearing in the a and e documentary that's for sure um <laughs> but that that's that's an aside um i knew the risk that a copy was obviously kept and had been sold on and sold and sold and sold. Again, early access, it served a purpose. I wanted to hype the Odyssey book. It was the perfect thing. I then sold on the tape when I had deemed that I had milked all of its worth for the Odyssey project to a group of other people who then eventually ended up sharing it for our fans to see. Uh, much better people than me, clearly, who only use part of it to hype. Um, which clearly wasn't fair use, but that's a, a whole separate discussion. <laughs> <laughs> but the elite comments, we're not elite. We do the groundwork and we get lucky. But we also take all the risk. I negotiated a deal with a seller several years ago uh, for nearly five figures. I paid all of that and took the risk to do it. What makes you think you're entitled to any of that? You're not. I took the risk, saw through the negotiation with lawyers to get that material. And the tapes duly arrived from a law office after my wire transfer, or I think it was a cashier's check, went to a broker who took their cut off and sent the rest of the third party. No one's entitled to the benefit of that risk or the cash I laid down. And then I decided if I wanted to bring anyone else in on that after the fact to offset some of the costs. That's how I did things. So could that shit leak? Without a doubt, because it came from somewhere else and it went into other hands. So again, I accept the risk of all parts of that equation from doing the deal myself and later you know, bringing people in. That doesn't make me an elite. That makes me fortunate that I'm able to do so. I don't deny that. Mark, you're able to do the same. You cover your own costs and pay for things. Correct. And, and, and for me- To scratch me, your own itches. Yeah, for me, that money comes out of what I do for a living. I work very hard and I pay a very close attention to detail in my private life that allows me if I want to go spend 10 grand on something that do I need? No. May it's it my get... hobby. I don't have yeah. a flash car. I buy yeah. rare shit. Yeah, I, I, that's the part that, uh, you know, I don't understand. I just do this to make me happy. That's it. I get a whole fucking shitload of kiss stuff in here. Not because I haven't bought one fucking thing from jeans costume right there on down to sell you know why i bought it because it makes me happy yeah. you know why i bought this tape because it makes me happy and i do realize as i get older i should probably there you go we're gonna be you know what let's start the tape shaking foundation <laughs> yeah I, I don't i don't want to tease people too hard this, this is a, a once a rocker advanced tape with an unreleased tack uh what's it called uh first ones for free well this ain't free neither's the song um again it it's my hobby i want to hear this so that i can write about it i i didn't get this in time for the book unfortunately um it, it came after the fact i buy advanced tapes to hear different mixes occasionally you get something that is completely different that happened with the nine lives advanced tape completely different mix extra songs you know so it's a hobby i buy a reel ended up being Tulsa 75 mark i mean how did that happen i'd love to mm. yeah because i know mm -hmm. you've got the i know you've got the cassette yeah, yeah I guess. i've I got i've got, i've got the real 
Crazy. Where did where did those two things originate from? Well, we both know that that tape came out of a soundboard deck. How did it get onto a reel and then all that? So I, I mean, that's that's the fun of it. That is why that's why we hunt. You know, as Ted Nugent used to say, we like to what is it? Rack them, pack them, and stack them. Yes. Um, you know, the, the hunt for the material to get to hear it. Um, and on the creatures box that people are going to hear the fruits of that benefit that someone else put in to getting those sound boards. Um, and that's what it's about. Fans are now going to get to hear it, but not in the right way. The leaks they're getting to see it, but not in the right way. You know, would you have liked to have seen a Largo 75 as part of an original uh, a kiss release? Well, what's, what's the motivation for them to do that now? Three nights of Kobo, all three nights complete. Would have made a great box set with, uh, you know, commentary, great liner notes, color photos, all, all that jazz packaging product, good product, because people would have loved to have bought that knowing that they were finally going to see all those encores complete, not in crappy quality from, uh, you know, some of the broadcasts that they were used. What's the point in doing that now? Um, the dynasty stuff to see six beautiful 16 millimeter film um, as part of who knows a deluxe. What's the point in that? It's out there for free. It's up on YouTube. Um, the the afternoon show in Tokyo, boy, uh, wouldn't that have been interesting to include in? I don't know, like in a live two box set, or rock and rock and roll over, or rock and know. roll yes. over box yeah. set. I mean, it could fall anywhere. Yeah, yeah. You know, so what product is now damaged because all of this stuff is out there, and the stuff that came directly from Kiss's vaults is universal assets because those fall under the original 1977 contract with Casablanca records, which explicitly defines all of the recordings and the band's property and how that relates to the record label that phonogram then inherited. I mean, some, I, I would say read the contracts, but people wouldn't be able to, you know, the 77 contract says it all. The 1980 contract says it all about how this stuff um relates to the band it's owned not by us not by us collectors who end up with a cassette of it um even the soundboards are owned and the music is most certainly owned as is the publishing and all the other angles that i, I just don't know enough about you know you know what 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 i'm noticing here amongst the two of you is you you don't seem bummed out and bent out of shape and pissed that people got leaks that you guys have been hoarding it's you know that that, that it seems like you guys are like this is cool stuff and i'm glad you people have, are able to hear it but you know let's keep in mind there's a there is a potential downside. We don't know, but it could have a downside down the road. I don't. I don't know if if, if Julian, if you've ever felt this way about certain. Because I'm a big audiophile when it comes to this stuff, and I know you are too. I mean, you know, I know. Like when I listen to Tulsa, I I have never heard a better copy than mine. You know, um, some of these things going back to you know. Uh, I, I bought in some group stuff. Well, I tell you, I'm going to use an, a, an example. I don't know if I have handy. Um, the original rock and rollover demos, you know, the one with Baby yep. Driver where Gene sings. You know, the very first person who heard that post 1971. You know why? Because I transferred it. 
I took it. I, I took that to a recording studio and I had to find somebody who had a machine that it would tape or that would play the tape. They didn't have speakers hooked up to it. So I plugged in, you know, uh, a set of headphones. And at the time, nobody, including myself, knew that Gene sang. Babe. I didn't know what songs were on. I didn't know nothing. You put it on. You're like, oh, hold on. I did know because it was written on the box. But when we got the baby, you don't box, know that the reel is going to match the box, though. Yes, that 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 too. But when I'm like, holy fuck, Gene singing this. Holy shit. Holy shit. And I was just like almost in tears. And 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 as a Kiss fan, it is you can tell if you've been watching this for the last two plus hours or whatever. We're into this stuff. Can you imagine sitting there? On an afternoon after work, you've found this guy that can play this tape for you and you're going to transfer it and you get to hear alternate versions off your favorite studio kiss. Holy shit. Oh, my God. It was literally I was welling up. That was special. Yeah. You can't put a price on that exactly. happiness and that joy. But that, again, comes back to risk. I bought two inch 16 track. Who the fuck can play that? I mean, you got to find special you got to find a studio to play two inch, mm -hmm. you know, quarter, quarter inch, 12, um, 12 inch reels of Ampex 456 studio mixed down tapes. Um, you know, those are bad enough to get transferred. I'll, I'll tell you my, my favorite story on that was I got the Peter Chris uh, dynasty demo and, you know, a, a real one. So that was 12 inch media, but it was moldy. I took that into the studio. I had to find a studio first then I had to find a studio that could do restoration first because my whole thing was restore it first and then, and only then if you deem it possible transfer, it was all about preserving it. So they had to bake it, re-splice it and all that. And, you know, he calls me up a few weeks later. He said, it's done. Why don't you come on down, Go, sitting down in a studio behind the console, studio monitors, all four of those songs have circulated. But sitting there, I was like that Maxell commercial yep. you know, with the guy leaning yeah. back with yep. Peter Chris's death. I was like, holy shit, I could hear that. I could hear that. I'm, I'm, I'm like, I, I'm, I'm all over the place. I mean, this is common stuff. The joy of hearing pristine studio quality in a studio as well. While the engineer talks about how he aligned the heads with the oscilloscope, you know, and, and everything that he had to do to re-lubricate the material and re-splice it and demold it and bake it. I mean, it's an education. You're sitting there watching a sign. These guys, the old school engineer too, you know, looking at sine waves until he gets it absolutely dialed in. He says, okay, now we can proceed. It's, it's nuts, but it's arcane. And it, it's, it's a stuff that someone listening to Tulsa or the rock and roll over demos on YouTube ain't going to get, they can't get Hold that joy. I remember I transferred yep. my, this is, this is a, this is an actual King biscuit Aerosmith. And I sent one to Julian just so he could check it out. And this is a show he's heard a million times, but I had that vinyl again. This is the actual record they played at the radio station to broadcast over the city. I got that record and I, and I had it super cleaned. I paid a ton of money to get it mastered like a regular. And I remember your reaction. You're like, Holy shit. Yeah. That thing. That is a, and that, that is an amazing show that it stays on repeat, but that is the joy of music. You know, uh, 
uh, Mike, I'm sorry if this is boring you. Oh, no, uh, no, not at all. <laughs> not at this all. Is, and this is not dick shaking people. This is pure joy. The exuberance of how Mark and I are getting into this conversation is all about the passion of hearing this music. I mean, Def Leppard, BBC 79. I got a, re- oh. a radio reel and I took that in and had the engineer do that at 88. I think he did that one at 88 too. Um, just absolutely stunning to hear pristine quality. And he's like, uh, do you want me to transfer the Jags as well? Hell yeah. I've never heard them, but you know, same with King Biscuit flower hour. I had a, the original reel from a radio station for that with the average white band. They're like, do you want the average white band as well? Or just the kiss stuff? I'm like, give me it all. I want to hear the show as yes. broadcast in October. Uh, what was it? November 75. Yeah. Yeah. That was Cleveland. I want to, and it had still had the commercials oh, yeah. on it. So you're going back in. I couldn't be, again, I said this during the other part of the show. I couldn't be there in 75. This is as close as I can get. And I want to hear the very best. I'm always on the hunt for one less generation or slightly better quality of something that we already have. Why? Because it's slightly better. I mean, it sounds like Nigel out of Spinal Tap, but this one goes to goes 11. Goes to 11. Well, Mark's King Biscuit 1980 Aerosmith goes to 12. Why? <laughs> because it can. Oh, no, yeah. no. I mean, I, I, I definitely don't have the same passion for audio like you guys, but when it is something that's personal to me, I get that. But I also understand the mean I can find one I can find a new source that there isn't that little static in the middle of the song that's been circulating for the last 10 years. And now all of a sudden that song, Oh my God, that's, that's a great find. You know, it doesn't, it, it doesn't have the skip in it. It doesn't have a static in it. It doesn't have a dropout in it, whatever it might be. You'd, you know, yeah, I, I get it. And I've always said this in general about collecting it's the hunt. The hunt is, for me, more important than finally even getting it. Because as we all know as collectors, today it can be so easy sometimes to be a collector. What do you need? A boatload of money and the internet. Just hit hit eBay, hit auction houses, and just pay whatever they're asking, and now it's yours. That's not the hunt. The hunt is tracking it down finding it from a source that was there or knew somebody that was there or didn't realize what they had. You know, it's, it's the old walking into somebody's garage sale and they don't know what they're selling, but they're selling it for a quarter. And you're like, Holy shit. Michael, I got a text yesterday about another X project that I'm passionate about wanting to know what, you know, what stuff I have from a certain tour. And I was happy to forward that to them. And, and much like Julian, I don't, you can just have it, you know, it's, it's not mine. Right. You, know what I mean? you, 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 you own the, you own the plastic of the tape. Yes. That's it. You don't own yeah. what's actually magnetized on the tape. Yeah, yeah, but it's, it's 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 also the rights holder though, and and the yes. right way to do things because there's another project that's currently being worked on that I did license. I, that means I agreed to accept a fee for giving permission for my surprise surprise video footage to be used in. I'm not a video guy either, um, or it wasn't until recently. Um, 
You know, so it, again, it depends on context. You know, when you have the only physical copy of something, um, again, Kiss. Well, what do you what do you have, Julian? You you got this? You got that? You, you send us what you have. Um, sure, here you go. You know, uh, now does that apply to everything? Absolutely not, because there are some things that, again, I paid a lot of money for, and I'm not a charity that when they are going to be commercially used, um, fair is fair. Business is business. So, you know, a context is everything. That Destroyer stuff, it had been out for decades, literally. And I just happened to have a tape um, that had been aces. So, big deal. Go for it. Make it sound sweet. Make the package better. Go for it. Um, mm -hmm. But I, I don't think this makes us elite. I don't think this makes us show-offs. There are a lot no. of things that we, we don't talk about. Why? Because people get so freaking upset about it when we talk about anything. And that's why I rattle the tape. Because, number one, it's funny. <laughs> and, and there's no reason why everyone should hate on Mark all the time when he does. Because, <laughs> yeah, one tape that you always rattle is that I rehearsal, the, uh, the Friday's rehearsal. And I was after that tape. The guy died. And I didn't I get know, you beat me to right it. There. Oh, no, I mean, and that is the Panthers, you know, competing for the same meal. He got there before me. But do you know I what? Hate, we're happy do I hate for his it. guts? No. <laughs> That's what I mean. Am I we're glad someone got it? I'm more glad someone got it because that person died. That could have ended up in a landfill. But right. instead, it's in very could, good hands. Could have ended up at a garage sale in a box for 10 cents that somebody took home and had their kid erase it because they wanted to record something else. That's, that's, that's going to be in 20 years when I die. My kids are going, who the fuck wants this? <laughs> Bulk just, eraser. Just, just leave instructions for it. Burn this and put the video on YouTube. <laughs> I tell you, what, I got to run. I, I've been getting texts from my lovely and talented, you know, dinner was ready 45 minutes. Oh yeah. Ago. I mean, you oh, know, no. Julian, when Mark's got it, when Mark's yeah. got to eat, we've got to end the show. Yeah. Um, Julian, this was this was fascinating. The the Aerosmith discussion loved it. The the collecting, the audio discussion. Um, I love it. You you've got an open invite anytime. If you want to come back and talk about anything, um, you just reach out and let us know. And uh, it's been we'll fun, Mike. You know, you know, with you, Mark and Tommy, it's been a blast. I very much appreciate it. You ever got a topic that you think I'll fit? Give me give me a buzz. Yeah, you you're know, always welcome. Years ago, when you invited me on, um, when you were down a, a host, I wasn't ready to podcast. And, you know, at that time, I didn't have any plans on getting into podcasting. It was just happenstance that it happened. You know, and here we are all these years later. How many hundreds of shows do you guys have under your belts? We're you know? approaching. We're. I think we're actually recording. If I'm not mistaken, this is show 493 for us. We're almost at 500 shows. 500 freaking huh? episodes. Who the thunk? Who do? I mean, we sure as hell didn't 10 years ago when we started this. And who would have thought there's that much to freaking talk about on one band? But every time you get together, you have a good conversation, right? With yourselves that's first. That's exactly and it. And foremost. And that's the same with my crew. Every time I get off that, I hit hang up on Skype. I'm like, 
that was great hanging out with the guys today talking about a band that we all love. We went mm-hmm. off on some tangents. We put a, a quarter in Lonnie or a quarter in me yep. um, and, ha- and had a blast. And, you know, it's a high point of my week. I'd much rather hang out with fellow fans talking kiss than go to a bar any day of the week because I don't go to bars. This is yeah. my entertainment. Yeah. I mean, that that's how that is how we have from episode one to today. We judge every episode when we hang up and we go, we had a good time. Then that was a great episode. At that point, we could care less how many views it gets, what comments it gets, what people think of it. If we can leave and go, we liked what we talked about. What more do you want? And then Viewers within and an comments hour, we're texting bonus. one another. <laughs> <laughs> um, Julian, again, thank you so much. This was this was a great conversation. You're, again, oh, thank, you, thank you're you welcome all. anytime. Do you have something to say? Leave a voicemail or send us a text message. Call 320-515-4771. Dude, I don't know what to say. I mean, that was fantastic discussion about Aerosmith. And I'm not a massive Aerosmith fan, but I was, I was listening to everything. And that bit at the end with you guys talking about collecting. I mean, that was such a great, honest insight from people who are actually doing it. Well, like, like we both, I hope that we conveyed this, you know, it, it is what it is. I mean, you know, the risk going in, you know, it's, this is, it, it, and look, I'm using this as a microcosm. It's like, you know, people who drill for oil, they spend all this money hoping that they hit something cool. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't, but they, they went out and they tried yeah. and I've done that. Um, and I've also, again, you know, like, like I said with Julian, I got those tapes in for 10 years before I started seeing people, you know, I, I never get mad about this stuff. You know, it was funny because Julian brought up the, the, the Friday's soundboard. Look, man, that thing was around for 20 plus years before I got it. There, if it surfaces tomorrow. Well, yeah, you, you, again, as you both said, you understand the risk, you know, the number one risk is you're buying something that isn't the only copy or is easily going to be sold or given out to all kinds of other people who are going to do something that you don't have any control over. That's the risk. I I look at stuff like this though. Here's, here's my ultimate disconnect. And I think it is with Julian too. If one of my kids got sick, that would break my heart. That would upset me. That would that would tear me apart. Not a fucking kiss oh, show. Please. That's yeah. when you see, oh, I bet he's fucking cowering. What? What? What are you out of your fucking mind? Well, we've always said this on the show. It's about setting your priorities. Families first, your job, yes. kiss. I love Kiss and my life would be completely different without Kiss. But guess what? What the fuck happens with a leak today or tomorrow doesn't have any impact on my life tomorrow. The sun is still going to rise. And guess what? If Kiss stops tomorrow because Gene and Paul just say, guess what? We've had enough and we're done and we're done for good. Okay, that sucks. But. I'm waking up tomorrow morning. The sun's still coming up and I'm getting my daughter ready to go to school. Amen. That's priority. 
Amen. It's, like it's rock and roll. It's about being happy. That's what it comes down to. Yeah, this stuff, I all my Kiss stuff, all my Aerosmith stuff, all my Ted Nugent stuff, all my, you know, all this stuff, my Deep Purple, my Black Sabbath. And, and guys, I got tons of it. I love it. I never bought a thing. A thing is an investment. Not one thing. Everything that I've bought is because it made me happy. That's all. And you, and you know what? I mean, and this might not be, I, I would, and th- how do I phrase this in the right way? That's something that becomes more apparent to people as you become older. You know, it wasn't until I hit my 40s that I was like, you know, all that shit I was chasing and wanting to do when I was in my 20s and 30s, that was, didn't mean anything. What meant everything now is being happy just being happy and not worrying about all that other stuff you used to worry about. There's a small number of things that you worry about your health, your family's health, you know, your future, your security, that sort of stuff. I'm not sitting here freaking worrying about who's going to get named as the next Sam Loomis. Jesus fucking Christ. I mean, that. <laughs> You know, with Julian on, it's it's kind of funny. Again, you know, we talk about the cesspool and stuff. I don't go there. I don't participate in that. But guys, Jesus Christ, we have enough. What is it? We're up about 12 listeners, 13. You know? Well, according to one of the drywall on the, the cesspool, <laughs> we have been losing listeners like crazy. So I think we're down to six listeners now. What was our new include and this is the one thing the know nothings love to spot are we're on vemo vemo whatever um uh vivo v-e-v-o and our last episode with joe talking about the kiss cruise fest i hate i hate to disappoint some of you people out there and if you're drywall you might want to open your ears we had total listeners now that's, you don't you well, that's don't, everything that's everything everywhere you can listen to us and and i know you can't see all these numbers but total listeners of the one episode in its first week last week twenty-eight thousand five hundred. as i like to describe it to mark we sold out, sold out Cobo Hall twice, and we still had another 5,000 people watching on closed circuit TV. Suck it. <laughs> that, again, that's the whole thing when you see like, no, no one's listening. No one's watching. Really? Well, you know, I'm glad you think that way, but uh, we happen to know different. And there's a reason that, I, and again, I, it was funny because I wanted to bring this up when Julian was on. The people who, who like complain about us, I'm going to, I'm going to get you a little secret here. All right. We think it's the funniest fucking shit ever. Keep it up. Keep it up. We laugh so hard. The more vile the thing said about us, the happier we are. And sometimes it's page and page and page after page of it. I love it. Mike loves it. Tommy loves it. And Lisa just looks hot looking at it. We freaking love it so don't stop talking about us don't stop making fun of us we love it so keep it going man 
Keep it well, going. Something tells something tells me this episode with Julian <laughs> is going to cause some convert, some sort of conversation. I don't know what it will be, but I'm sure there will be some drywall talking over there. So it's it's the funny part is no one's watching yet. It's page after page after page of our podcast. I don't know, <laughs> dude. Again. We are just having a great time. And as we yeah. talked with Julian earlier in the show, when we finish an episode, if we had a fun time, that's all we care about. We do not care how many listeners, how, what you think. It, it's not phasing us. We haven't changed one bit of this show in 10 years of all of the, all of the critiques we've been getting. We've never changed anything. Why do you think we're going to change now? We love the way we are doing it. We're having a blast. Yeah. So keep up with your pompous elitist, all this. Cool. Whatever, man. Just keep talking. You're doing a great job doing that. They can talk. <laughs> they can talk up a storm because they got all the time in the world. Um, homework. I, you know, have you read? Okay. A bunch of Julian related questions. Have you have you read any of Julian's kiss books? What do you think? Which ones are your favorite? Uh, I will, I will say, you know, Odyssey is right up at the top as one of the, the, one of the best books he's, he's written. I highly recommend the album focuses. I've read everything he's done. Um, the album focuses, they're just fun. Um, and it's funny. I'm, I'm not busting his boss. He even he's like the type was, but you know, but that's, that's real. Who cares? Yeah, it's real. real. It's I love those, man. Yeah. Those, those yeah. are great. I, I really like the solo albums one a lot. I thought that was fantastic. I don't remember Odyssey Scrape, but I really like the solo albums one. I, I His really Crazy Nights book was really good. It was. I, it yep. really was. I, yep. I loved it. I thought it was great. Um, and, and I will tell you, this new Aerosmith book, I'm just being honest, it's the best thing he's done so far. Well, I was going to say really? another homework question is, have you read his Aerosmith book? What do you think of it? If you're an Aerosmith fan, go get it. It's but, going to be right up your alley. If you're a Kiss fan, I'm serious. You need to read this. It, it is so well documented. And there's so much. There is there's a ton of Kiss stuff in here, too. You know, again, too, just even, you know, the ads and the magazine, because this is 73 to 85. Their trajectories, Aerosmiths and Kisses, were side yep. by side in many yep. ways. Um, yeah, again, tons of great Kiss stuff in here. Obviously, a billion great Aerosmith things. Um, and again, I think it's his best work. I think you guys will dig it. Um, so, yeah, I, I tell you, I was really happy uh, when 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 Julian and I were talking. You know, he was like, "God, I'd love to be on your show and love to sit and talk about all this stuff." And I, you know, that stuff at the end was a bonus because. That just kind of, you know, we thought we were done just talking about Aerosmith. And then you can't have Julian and not talk Kiss. I know we can't. I mean, if we didn't talk about Kiss and especially talk about the leaks, there would have been a whole bunch of you guys are covering up. You're trying to save your ass, whatever. We're getting I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. I mean, whatever. So um, right. let's, let's, let's wrap let, let, Yeah. So one final quick reminder, make sure you're checking out Three Sides of the Coin Radio. When you are listening to this, we should have now the new playlist live from Charlie Benante of Anthrax. He programmed the station. So go check it out. Three sides of the coin radio.com and see what 
kind of kiss music Charlie Benante likes. That's it. We'll see everybody next week. I let me let me double check real real quick here. I think next week might be a guest, and if it is the guest I'm thinking of, ultimate fanboy episode next week, Mark. I this is I'm gonna probably be on a plane. Are you shitting me? I think so. You got to change your flight. You do not want to. This is one you've wanted for years. All right. We'll talk here in a second. All right. All right. So that's it. Three sides of the coin. We'll see you next week.
the show. Visit threesidesofthecoin.com. Subscribe on YouTube. Follow and rate us on Spotify. Subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. We appreciate your support. Voices for Three Sides of the Coin, provided by LarryDavisVoice.com and by JessicaMarsVoice.com. That's Mars with a Z.